Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Well, hi. Nice to see you here. Glad you made it. Extra hour sleep today. That's nice. <clears throat> I forgot until I looked at my my phone and it was still an hour more. I said, oh, yeah. So, um, First, I just want to uh, take a moment to honor the land and the ancestors of the land, the uh, Miwok Indians and uh, Ohlone Indians uh, who inhabited this land uh, for many years. Um, This was sacred uh, Miwok land, Indian land. And it was called Spirit Rock before we got here. You might, if if this is the first time you're here, perhaps you've, if you looked over to the right, at the right time as you're just passing, going onto the entrance, there's a big rock with a tree growing out of it, which has been there for quite some time. And we were just fortunate to uh, be stewards of this land uh, these days. So, honoring the land. Um, So, this is a kind of um, um, exciting day for me. I've not done this topic before. Often when I lead day-longs, or certainly when I lead retreats, I'm pretty familiar with the material, um, but um, I decided I wanted to explore this topic with you because it's up for me, and um, I think it's a really important one for all of us these days, for us to have the courage to say what's true. And that's always, I'd say, a relevant and important um, topic. Uh, But for me, and perhaps for many of you, even more these days when there's so much um, untruth around and where we're at a crossroads in many ways with the planet, with um, our society, uh, with the the world on fire, with so much fear and confusion and uncertainty, to um, find our voice and be able to say, speak clearly and effectively and uh, from the heart with a hopefully with a a Dharma-based presence so that uh, we can be heard. And uh, so I want to explore this with you. And we'll have both um, sitting practice throughout the day. Some things I want to share. And also a lot of... um, experiential practices uh, rather than all the 
information coming one way from me, uh, I love to invite us all to get in touch with our own wisdom and our own truth and hear each other and help each other wake up. Uh, so I hope that you'll be um, um, able to participate in that. You don't have to do anything that doesn't feel comfortable. If you prefer not to have, say, an interactive experience, you can uh, just uh, be with uh, your own process and, if you'd like, uh, write down reflections. But otherwise, there'll be a number of times where we'll have small groups of triads or dyads or things like that. Let's see. And we'll be exploring, um, as I thought about it, um, I'm motivated these days particularly because of the, the greater issues, but hopefully this will also be relevant to uh, whatever personal issues uh, you are wanting to um, get clear on finding your voice and saying what's true, uh, whether it's to um, people that you work with or families or um, uh, friends or whatever the circumstance, hopefully it, the, uh, the principles will apply um, but as I, as I am saying, for me, one of the, the main phrases that I'm, that's hit me deeply that I wanted to share, I shared it recently. We had a climate day uh, a few uh, last month. <clears throat> that this is, this is no time to play small. This is no time to uh, be timid in saying the truth and that when we can find our own voice, particularly if we can communicate skillfully so that it it doesn't add to divisiveness, but lends to a greater connection and communication in a way that helps others get more in touch with the truth, the real uh, the the wholesome truth inside, um, then it um, helps others to find their voice as well. So, um, with that said, we'll explore a number of different aspects of of this. But uh, I thought we could start with a little bit of uh, meditation just to arrive here and um, and have the meditation process also as a a way. The way I see the, the, the process, one way I think of the meditation, is really learning to listen to the truth internally. What's true right now in this moment? What's true in my body, in my mind, in my heart? And can I be there for whatever is here? When uh, the Buddha was was sitting before he was enlightened and uh, what I think of as the archetype for, uh, for practice. There he was just sitting still as Mara's armies of um, arrows attacking or uh, seductive nymphs 
uh, coming and and uh, Mara saying, oh, you don't want to get enlightened. Come on and uh, you can have some of these nymphs and all and uh, even doubt. Whatever is there, the Buddha could see it and just say, yes, and this too. I can be with this too and not be knocked off my seat. And so when we're meditating, that's a kind of... Um, image that I find helpful that whatever is here whether it's um, thoughts in the mind that confuse us or beautiful thoughts that uh, that take us away or just a sense of peace and connection and depth we can be here for whatever is true in our experience in this moment I'm wondering how many uh, uh, people are there people that are relatively new to the practice let me let me put it that way a few that are new okay so i'll give you uh <clears throat> i have a little bit of a cold so i'm going to try to let's see not cough right into the mic <clears throat> as i clear my throat so i'll give a little bit of a an overview of the, the meditation instructions before we we sit. It's very simple, really. It's just knowing what's happening right now without wishing it were different. If it's pleasant, allowing it to be here without grasping or trying to hold on. If it's unpleasant, allowing it to be here without pushing it away, wishing it were gone, um, and um, without uh, taking ownership of the experience. That means like if you have a, an angry thought without saying, oh, I'm such an angry person, but just, oh, an angry thought has arisen. Or if you have a, uh, any kind of fearful thought or a, a lusting thought or whatever, just those thoughts are just coming, going on their own. So without having those reactions, just seeing thoughts coming out of nowhere and going back into the void. <clears throat> the basic practice is to sit, and if nothing else is happening, uh, you're breathing. And that's often a, a place that many people find helpful to just come, back, come into the present moment's experience. Okay, breathing in, breathing out. Or for some... The breath isn't the the ideal focus, and it might be just knowing that you're sitting or feeling sensations in your body. Whatever it is, you just notice it and let the mind be open, relaxed. It's not like you have to shut anything out. And if something else calls your attention, then you notice that. And you might notice different changing experiences. Here's the breath. In, out, and then you might notice a loud sound. No, and there's hearing. And coming back to the breath, or you might notice a sensation in your body, uh, an itch on your nose. Oh, itching. And then coming back, or you might notice um, a a mood, an emotion arising. Oh, and here's sadness. Okay, you notice that, and then you come back. So whatever is happening, it's basically knowing what's happening now. 
this is easier said than done uh, because if especially if you're new to this you'll notice that the mind has a tendency to wander <clears throat> if your mind does not wander um, I'd like you to come up and speak to me uh, on the break and uh, let me find out what's going on in there but if you're like most people the mind wanders don't take it personally if you can remember that it's not oh gosh look at my mind oh this is what the mind does then there's no problem and the key moment the way I see the meditation is the moment that you realize that the mind has wandered while it's gone there's not much you can do about it gone five seconds five minutes 15 minutes gone when you realize that you've been wandering off that's where you have a choice how to relate to that and if you get frustrated oh, there I am wandering and get back here and do this right you can hear the frustration and the judgment that comes with that no extra credit for beating yourself up just notice ah don't get lost in the thought another common response is oh I've been gone but this is a really interesting thought let me just go with this one don't bite the bait okay when you realize that your mind has wandered appreciate that you've just come back to the present and let the return be done with great kindness and patience and just begin once again and in that every time you bring yourself back in that way you're making friends with your mind instead of having it be an adversarial relationship and so you just come back and begin again and that's where the training is where you're practicing kindness and patience and presence every moment is the beginning Okay, so with that in mind, let's um, find a posture you can be reasonably comfortable and still. And we'll sit for, oh, about 15 minutes uh, right now to start so we can get into it. And I'll give a little bit of guided and then we'll get into the silence. So as you sit here, feel your body occupying space feel a connection to the earth just feel the earth support you it's here for you and let your posture be both an expression of upright alertness and dignity like Thich Nhat Hanh suggests thinking of yourself like a mountain strong and worthy of respect and at the same time, a sense of ease. So if there's any places of tension or holding, just allowing them, inviting them to soften. You might take a quick scan through the body from head to, to toe, just noticing any places of tension and inviting an ease and softening. And then take a few deeper breaths and breathe in a calming energy and let it fill your whole body. 
And as you breathe out, let go. Relax. And then allow the breath to find its own natural rhythm. Let let the breath breathe you. And as a home base, if you find it supportive, just know that you're sitting here breathing. How do you know you're breathing? You feel your whole body expanding and contracting? Or you notice it at the the belly rising and falling, or the chest? Or the nostrils as the air enters and leaves? in and out. Just notice. And make it like a game, an awareness game, where you're simply noticing the fact that you're sitting here breathing or whatever else your experience is. What's happening now? What's the truth of what's happening now? Let it be how it is unless some adjustment is needed and bring a kind, interested, and relaxed awareness to the moment, one moment at a time.
Let the mind be relaxed and interested. Meeting the moment with a kind awareness.
is it? Water? Huh. Oh, tea. Oh, sure. Ginger mix, I think. Oh, like it. oh thank you. That's looks... Just in case. Mmm. Great. Thank you. Um, so the other important moment, by the way, in the meditation, uh, I see, besides the seeing when your mind is wandering is when it ends. Because um, often there can be an editorial comment about how it was, you know, oh, I was all over the map, or I was sleepy, or hey, I think I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> just let go of the report card. Whatever happens... It was just what happened. Don't don't take credit. Don't take blame. It's just what happened. Yeah. First, so before we go on to the uh, the theme, any questions about the meditation? Um, yeah. Is there a specific goal in mind other than just being aware? Is there a specific goal in mind other than just being aware? Um, that's that's the main task. As far as what happens, all kinds of benefits happen. The, the, the discourse that the Buddha uh, laid out, this mindfulness practice, he says, there is one direct way to overcome sorrow, lamentation, and grief, despair, pain, anxiety, and realize the highest happiness that is the establishment of mindfulness. That's pretty good, isn't it? It just so happens when you pay attention, or when you try to pay attention, you see what's actually here in the moment. You are uh, noticing um, how everything changes one, one moment after another. You're uh, here in the present instead of the past and the future where we mostly spend a lot of time and we're not adding on our judgments about how we'd like things to to be, which is um, our own version of our preferred reality, but just seeing clearly so we can respond in a wise way. When you do that, you start to make friends with this mind that has a mind of its own and you see all kinds of thoughts coming and going and you don't have to take credit or blame for them. Just imagine having any thought in the world and not being bothered by it, blowing up the world. Oh, that's an interesting one. Okay. Um, Just coming and going. And the more you can see that you don't have to jump onto the thought train that comes by, the more you can really be awake instead of lost in your own, your own stories about the world. And it just so happens, as you do that, you find more connection with reality and a place of peace that's right inside of you. And the more you can see things clearly, the more life reveals itself in uh, in amazing ways and wisdom grows and you feel 
the barriers lift between you and everyone else, so it also opens up the heart in very profound ways. So it's a very simple thing to do, but it has tremendous ramifications, all the way to full awakening. So it's a good thing to do. Yeah. Why not be here for your life? Anything else? Okay. So let's look at this theme. So I I named the... um, the day long cultivating courage fearlessly standing in truth <clears throat> the word dharma which is a word that's used a lot in these teachings the word dharma d h a r m a or dhamma if you're looking in the pali version of the sanskrit word uh, one one way to think of it is truth that's one of its um, definitions discovering the truth, the natural law of things and so when we take refuge in the Dharma, it's one of the three refuges from these teachings we take refuge we find home we find comfort, we find alignment with the truth of this moment, of what's happening in my life. Instead of what I wish were happening or um, would like to be happening or wish weren't happening. And we love the truth. There's something in us that really loves the truth. When there's there's an, a, a non-alignment with the truth, it feels off. It feels like there's something... I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm always, when I talk about this, I always think back to, this is going to date me, I know, but to when I was a kid growing up and uh, the big TV show that I watched a lot was Perry Mason. You ever see Perry Mason? The, the, you know, the quintessential lawyer show, you know, and uh, courtroom drama. And you're wondering, you know, when, when would they find out who did it? And you were off balance. This is in, in uh, not just Perry Mason, but in probably most every drama, we wait until the truth comes out, until finally the guy at the end of the show would say, I did it. And it's like, ah, okay. Finally, we can can rest because the truth has come out. We love the truth and there's something that's disconnecting when we're out of alignment with it. We're wired up to love it. And to, when we don't act in harmony with our truth, there's a price to pay. That's why the Buddha said that the, the foundation for inner peace is getting in touch, being aligned with your highest values. And when you're not, there's a price to pay. So it's, this is really, part of that process is, is understanding what my values are, what's true, what's really the truth that's going to bring me greatest well-being and to 
to stay aligned with those values. We don't always do it, of course, because we're human. But when we're out of alignment with our values, we, um, our mind gets and our hearts get very disturbed. And when we hear about injustice going on, most of us, there's something that we feel that, that um, um, d- misalignment and off, and it's disturbing <clears throat> that's why we probably love to hear Dharma talks if you've come on and done retreats. You know, you might hear a talk that you've heard 20 times. Oh, another hindrance talk. But there's something that we just love hearing the truth. Oh, somebody's telling it like it is. It's one of the beautiful things of the Buddhist starting out the, his, his teachings. The first noble truth, there's suffering in life. And some people say, gosh, that's a depressing way to start a, a, a teaching. But many people say, ah, finally, someone is saying it like it is. And we can relax and open and and be receptive and trust that this is the truth. As Shakespeare says, to thine own self be true and it must follow as the night the day thou canst not then be false to any man. You know, when, so part of it is not just seeing what's out there but being aligned with the truth inside and then being having the courage to speak our truth is a whole other step. It's, it's one thing to just even know what's going on in here, but then to be willing to put out your reality the way you see your reality, your truth, I should say, um, often takes courage. Because we're all walking around with our own realities. We're, we're walking around saying, oh gosh, why doesn't everybody see it the way I see it? You know, if they did, this would be such a better world. Except everybody else is walking around with their reality as well. And we know as soon as we open up our mouth and somebody says, what? You know, how can you be thinking that? You know, it's like, oh, how can they be thinking that? So we've learned to be very um, sometimes tentative or sometimes uh, cautious or sometimes know that we're going to get pushback if we do say our truth. But if we don't, there's something inside that, that festers if we're coming from, from a wholesome place, particularly mm. And in the way I see it, as I said at the beginning, this is, a, this is a time for us really to speak our truth the way, uh, as one good friend puts it, that I often quote. He says, we're in a race now between fear and confusion and consciousness and love and truth. There are definitely forces that don't want the truth to come out. And they're powerful forces. 
And so it takes that much more courage to be willing to stand up and say the truth knowing that there'll be consequences in that. And the way I say it, see it, as we're willing to say the truth and speak the truth in a skillful way, we encourage others and it becomes more, um, we're contributing to the consciousness on the planet. And as you perhaps could agree, we're at a crossroads now in human civilization, whether it's the climate and the planet, which is heading towards self-destruction or towards waking up in a way that we never have before. We have a choice here. Or on the political realm where there's the forces of kindness and caring and empathy or the forces of divisiveness and hatred um, we're at a very key juncture at this point in human civilization and so my vision is that we can all be agents of consciousness to awaken consciousness in everyone that we know because consciousness is contagious just as much as fear. And so, for me, it's a no-brainer what, what choice. And if you've come to Spirit Rock and have taken a look at your mind and at all have been inspired by teachings like these, um, I probably um, I'm, I'm not alone here and have some company. So this... The sense of, of being willing to speak the truth is not just a, a nice thing for ourselves, but for but f- to add our own consciousness to civilization. <clears throat> so, first, I thought we could do, and rather than me just keeping on talking a lot, I thought we could do uh, one f- simple exercise about speaking our truth in a... Um, not particularly threatening way as far as your um, opinions about things, but um, in what your actual reality is right now. And this is an exercise, this is sometimes called Vipassana out loud. Vipassana, by the way, is another name for insight meditation, the kind of meditation that we we do here. Vipassana means to see things clearly, to see things as they are. So Vipassana out loud, you know, like just now you went inside and we're taking a look at what was true for you. Oh, breathing in, breathing out, hearing a sound, feeling a sensation, thinking, whatever. This is actually saying your truth to somebody else who is witnessing. For instance, okay, I will demonstrate. And then you'll get a little practice at doing this. And this will be one probably that uh, would be done in, uh, in pairs best. We'll do a lot of triads, but this one probably works best in pairs. So um, I'll do it. So now I'm aware of uh, all of you looking at me wondering, what is he 
going to have us do. Okay. That's my reality right now. Now I'm aware of some smiles uh, in the audience. Um, now I'm aware of my foot on the ground, one foot on the ground and the other one crossed. Now I'm aware of um, scratchiness in my throat. Now I'm aware of um, wondering how the day is going to go. Okay. So just saying what your actual experience is, okay? And the person who's listening, you're, you're uh, being allowed into another person's reality, okay? No opinion, you know, why do you have a, an itch on your nose or whatever. It's just whatever it is, okay? And, uh, and then you'll have a chance to switch. And we'll just kind of first get a sense of what that's like to be authentically yourself in your reality and be seen and heard and do the same for someone else. And we'll do this, oh, for, um, we'll do it for like uh, uh, two minutes each and then I'll ring a bell and, and you'll, you'll switch, okay? So, find a partner, okay? Look around. If you need a partner, raise your hand or, and stand up, okay? Anybody who needs a partner? Here, take a look. There's another hand, two hands here. Okay. Don't start just yet. You might introduce yourself. Someone else who needs a partner? Anyone else who needs a partner? Okay. Um, uh, Just look at each other for a moment. And um, both of you, uh, raise your hand. Okay, the person who raised their hand first goes first. Okay, and um, for um, no, when until I ring the bell, uh, just say your reality, and you can use the the sentence. Now I'm aware of, uh, and um, yeah, just do it like that. And the person who's listening is uh, just being a witness. Okay, ready. Go.
Okay, stop for a moment. Just uh, go inside and know what it's like to sense what it's like to be seen or to share. Whatever your experience is absolutely fine. Okay, and switch. Okay, once again, go inside, and once again, know what it, sense what it's like to either witness or be seen. Just hear someone else's truth, or share your own. Okay, and now why don't you just uh, speak to uh, your partner for a few moments and share what that was like for you. Again, your truth, but having a conversation about it.
Okay. Okay, start finishing up. So there was a, a lot to say. Uh, you'll stay with the partner because there's one, one more next piece I want to do. But there was a lot to say, even just, oh, I'm, I'm uh, feeling a, an itch in my nose. And still, there's, there's something about even just saying the truth and being seen and sharing or seeing somebody else. It can be fun, can't it? Just connecting. Oh, What's going on? Oh, who, well, let's see. this is a new movie. Oh, let's check it. I'm out of my own reality. Oh, finally, I could take a little rest. Oh, somebody else. Oh, what's with you? you know? um, so now that you've made a new friend, uh, hopefully, um, wanted to share, uh, have you share one more thing with each other, just the next step about just your reality. And as we go through the day, I want to, one have uh, have an understanding that whatever your reality is is your reality is absolutely fine. There's no apologizing for your reality, um, and we honor everyone's reality. And let's just, as a practice, be as authentic as we can. You know, in in a in a safe environment. Hopefully, this is a safe enough environment where you, we can do that. But I just invite you now to share with this uh, uh, this partner um, why you came here today. 
what you know what was your motivation to pick this particular um, theme and and if it was oh a friend dragged me here that's okay you know that's your reality no 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 problem uh, and and if if that's so uh, since you're here and this is the this is the theme what would you like to have happen what would, what would you hope to accomplish by exploring this together okay so once again with your new friend uh, you, this can just be a conversation we'll take about five minutes or so for it and just share and be seen and heard and uh, and, and see and hear someone else so please go ahead Make sure you both have a chance to, to speak. It's about halfway through.
probably about 12.30 or so. Okay, it's, it's a quarter after 11 now, about 12.30. Yeah. Do you need anything else? Nice. Mm -hmm. uh, do we have more Ricolas? I'll look, but if not, okay. I'll try to buy some at Woodacre. Oh, great. But if we have I, some, I'll bring them in. Yeah, or halls. Or, uh, it, okay. Oh, yeah, that we have in the medical family. Great. Okay, start finishing up. Finishing up, and thank your partner if you'd like. Um, mm. Mm. That was so nice. You all seem like your friends. <laughs> no enemies created yet. Um, uh, just, uh, I'm, I'm curious, um, any comments about what, what that was like to, uh, this is, uh, many people were meeting people that they never knew before. What was it like to just share your truth and, um, and witness somebody else? Um, oh, let's, uh, there's, wait, we'll get a mic coming right here. Hi, Alan. Hi. And put it right next to you, Mike. Okay, so um, this was not a stranger. This is my wife. Oh, okay. <laughs> you looked friendly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I came here just to have this kind of conversation. Mm. You know, uh, because most of the conversation we have is about family things and, you know, where we're going to go and what we're going to do. So I really appreciate that sh Kathleen came with me today mm. and that we get to speak the truth to each other, even little things. Mm -hmm. So it's it's lovely. Mm. Great, thanks. And isn't it interesting? It's just kind of like it, you're not getting into heavy-duty conversations, just what's happening with me, but it's not so often that we get a chance to say, oh, this is what's really going on for me. Thank you. Yeah, back there. I uh, really enjoyed with my partner sharing the mutuality of being seen and respecting that in the space of another. The mutuality of? Being seen. In of seen. being seen oh. and um, the witnessing of where things reside in the body experience and how even difficult things, when you truly listen, uh, can be heard. And so that space is very important to hold, I feel. And mm -hmm. that's what I wanted to share. Thank you. Thank and you. to share it and you see, oh, I'm not alone. Oh, how wonderful. All right. And any other comments? Yeah, one over here. Um, for me, it was really nice to... Close. It was really nice to... Um, the sharing was nice, but also being able to listen and be freed from the social compunction to be really emotional and offer a lot of solutions, to just be able to be still and listen mm. um, felt really good. And I felt like I was really able to listen because I wasn't trying to put my story or thoughts onto what she, what was her truth. Mm. Fabulous. Yeah. And it probably feels 
pretty good on the other end to have that presence and not feel that somebody is fixing you or coming out with their waiting to get their two cents in to just witness and listen and hear is one of the greatest gifts we can give each other and it's not so often that we do that so thank you very much for that any any other comment before we move on okay um how are we doing do you I, I, people had to uh, take a break. Uh, do you need a break? Do you want a break? How, what? Always? <laughs> you came to Spirit Rock to take a break. Yeah. yeah. Um, how many people uh, would like a break right now? Yeah. Okay, well... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah. You can get up and, and use the restroom as, as you like. Okay, so let, let's just do a little bit more and then we'll, we'll take a break in a little while. We'll definitely, I'll keep you in mind. Um, so, um, yeah, and just use, use the restroom as, as you need. So the the next step uh, I want thought I'd explore besides just saying what our reality is is um, just realizing that we have something to say and respecting ourselves that we have something to say worth saying and uh, for some people it's really easy. Some people, it's like all they need is a is an audience, and we're, you know, and they can. It's easy to share. For others, it's much less so. There are introverts, there are extroverts, and like I said before, everybody has their own reality. It's not right one way or another. Um, I, I thought I'd share a little bit about m- my story, and then you could kind of explore your story. For me, even though I'm sitting up here and give talks and all, I was uh, tremendously shy growing up. Um, My parents would go to open school night and uh, they'd come back and and they'd say, the teachers would say, you know, he's a good student if he just raises his hand every now and then. That would be, it would be good so we could hear from him. But I was terribly shy um, around people that I knew I wasn't. And actually, when I was very young, I wasn't, it turns out. They said that I would drag my parents across the street to say hi to people. But at some point, I got... Um, there was some fe- a lot of fear in my house. One parent was uh, borderline, and there was anger that could come at any time. I was also loved, so I had a combination of both of them. But um, I was um, I was pudgy. I wasn't athletic. I had glasses. I was a slow reader, uh, and um, 
um, I grew up with the name Jamie, which was not cool all those years ago. Um, and uh, and I just so happened that my birthday was the cutoff for school, and I went through with with friends skipping the eighth grade in New York. They had what's called special progress, SP. So I was two years younger than many of people in my classes in high school. And teenage years were not fun. Um, and so I, I was tremendously shy. And I had this, I had a feeling, I, I write about this in my book, Awakening Joy, I was an imposter. Um, I had this uh, ongoing image when I was a kid that people, there would be limbo souls on shelves waiting to incarnate. And I had this image of the hand of God or God's right hand assistant would, was coming over and, and picking people to be incarnated. And I was picked, but it was supposed to be the guy next to me. <laughs> this, the, honestly, this was uh, my childhood. I was an imposter. And if I was found out, I would be sent back. So, not a great here I am world uh, kind of self self image. Uh, and it took me. It was a process of discovering that I was I was okay enough that I had something to say and could actually express myself. Um, and here I am, you know, giving talks. Who knew? But I, there's a part of me also loves to go away for three months, shut out the world, and just be with myself. So I, I love both, both of those. Um, but it was a real process. And a big part of that process was feeling like I was okay, that I, I was good enough, that I was good enough, actually, that I was good enough. You can just leave it like that. So a big part of what I think of in, in terms of speaking our truth, especially for those that it doesn't come so easily or that there might be some hesitation of what will they think of me, which even for extroverts, there is probably that thought that comes every now and then. Have you ever had that thought? What will they think of me? <laughs> what do they think of me? What are they thinking of me? Often for extroverts, it's that much more, um, what will they think of me? Um, it takes some practice and a practice that we do here to feel that I am good enough and that I have something to say and that my voice counts. And there you were just in pairs just saying what your reality was and somebody was quite happy to hear your internal reality. That was a good enough entertainment for them. 
you didn't need to be brilliant or profound, right? It was just, you know, now I'm noticing my legs are crossed. Oh, oh, cool. Okay. Um, but to actually um, say what's on our mind or even more in our heart, that takes enough confidence to see, oh, I have something to say. You with me? And at the same time, um, we have to feel safe enough. This is just my exploration in what has helped me speak the truth, which is an ongoing process that I'm learning. Um, Although I have a commitment to myself in recent times, like I said, this is no time to play small. And the, the part that would held, hold me back, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm generally, uh, um, uh, I, I say what, what's true for me, but there are still some situations where it's, it's uh, you know, it, it's a stretch, but I'm, I'm committed to, to not let that hold me back when I have something that feels like it's, it's important to say. Uh, but anyway, we have to feel safe enough that not only will we say our truth and it be heard, but that there won't be, it won't be threatening, there won't be, um, it won't be unsafe in what comes back. So as we explore this, I was just thinking through about both having the courage and also having the safety the refuge, you know, this is a refuge to uh, to know that I'm safe in speaking my truth. As we all know, some some uh, people in our culture aren't safe enough through no no fault of their own, but are marginalized, and it's not safe to to be yourself. And that's a whole other reality that we all need to understand more and more. We all have our own version of not feeling safe, but some people through our systemic um, ignorance uh, create unsafety. So as we do this, it's important to, um, to both know what feels safe and healthy and also um, to know that uh, that we have something to say and we're good enough to say it. So there were a couple of exercises that I, I wanted to do to explore with you. Uh, one around safety and one about uh, seeing that, seeing your own goodness. Mm. Mm. I'm just wondering whether to... Yeah, maybe I'll read this first. Here's a passage. Some of you might be familiar with this. Uh, it's often read on retreats. Uh, it um, can be found in one of Jack's books, uh, The Art of Forgiveness, Loving Kindness, and Peace. And he didn't write this, but it's, it's a collection of different pieces of wisdom. Uh, in the Babemba tribe of Africa, When a person acts irresponsibly or unjustly, 
He's placed in the center of the village, alone and unfettered. All work ceases, and every man, woman, and child in the village gathers in a large circle around the accused individual. Then each person in the tribe speaks to the accused one at a time, each recalling the good things the person in the center of the circle has done in his lifetime. Every incident, every experience that can be recalled with any detail and accuracy is recounted. All his positive attributes, good deeds, strengths, and kindnesses are recited carefully and at length. This tribal ceremony often lasts for several days. At the end, the tribal circle is broken, a joyous celebration takes place, and the person is symbolically and literally welcomed back into the tribe. Pretty good tribe to hang out with, isn't it? Doesn't it make sense? When you hear that, if that's the first time you heard it, you're probably saying, what are they going to do to this guy? You know. And then you... What's that? The Babemba tribe. B-A-B-E-M-B-A. And then when you hear what they do, they're just reminding that person of their goodness. They're just reminding of who they really are and who they have forgotten who they are. This is a bit different than our, not only our culture, but our, um, our prison system where people are put in there for all sorts of things that are so systemic as well as what their own, their own upbringing is and they are then told they're bad most of the time. What does that do? It just reinforces a sense of unworthiness. Whereas what real rehabilitation is, is bringing people up and reminding them of their goodness that they came into this world with. So part of this process, I see, a key part of this process is seeing your own goodness and seeing your own worth. For me, it was the, a turning point. There, there have been a number of turning points or key milestones along the way. Uh, and this was, uh, was a very uh, profound one uh, in doing loving-kindness practice. So I thought that I wanted to share with you a particular profound moment that for me started, um, impacted me in seeing, oh, I really am okay, okay? So uh, I'd like you, uh, I'll, I'll share with you the story. And uh, here, let's be here. Okay. Um, so, the story that for me, we did this, we do the loving kindness, metta practice, M-E-T-T-A, uh, up the hill we have metta retreats. And I was on a long retreat in the center in Massachusetts um, for six weeks 
of these heart practices, these loving-kindness practices, where um, you're just saying over and over, may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be peaceful. And you're doing that from the time you wake up till the time you go to bed, and then you uh, direct it towards a benefactor and a friend and a neutral person and a difficult person and then all beings. So this first week of the six weeks, I was doing doing it for myself, just saying it it, it very much like I just said for you. And all kinds of things come up. It's not like you turn on the switch and say, oh, I'm in love with myself, how wonderful. Actually, a whole lot of stuff gets in the way. Oh, I can't believe I did that when I was 20. Oh my God, and I did that too. And all the ways that you've blown it are naturally part of the process. But anyway, by this time, and I had been practicing for about 20 years at this point, um, I I wasn't giving myself a hard time, but it wasn't great. It wasn't like I was head over heels in love. I was just, okay, not giving myself a hard time. I'd be safe, I'd be healthy. And then halfway through this um, week, somebody came to mind who I knew really loved me. I didn't know why, but I knew this person really loved me. And I said to myself, gosh, this would be so much easier if I could just see what they saw. And then I magically connected the dots and I said, why do they love me so much? What do they see? And I saw myself through their eyes. And I saw myself in a way I'd never seen before. And that's when I hit upon this way of doing loving kindness practice. So I want to I want to invite you to do this little exercise with me. Okay? And for this you uh, sit up in a meditative posture, just in a presence, okay? And uh, yeah, I'd like you to uh, just go inside and bring to mind someone who you know feels warm towards you, who really appreciates you. It might be a good friend, it might be a mentor, oops, it might be your pet. That's, which is a, always a, a good fallback if you have a pet or somebody from your past. Just bring someone to mind who you share a real loving connection with, if that's possible. If it's not, then um, just somebody who you have a, 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 an easy uh, relationship with. Okay. And bring them to mind and have an image of them maybe smiling back at you. Oh, thanks for picking me. And feel first that connection that you share. Just that sweet flow that comes, that goes between you. Of warmth and friendliness. And first appreciating that, how, how good. 
this flow that we share. And now, as I did, as I just explained, imagine your consciousness inhabiting their reality and from their perspective, looking through their eyes, look back at their friend and see who they see when they're with their friend. All the things about you that touch them. Maybe your playfulness or your kindness or your creativity or intelligence, all of it. Probably many, many things, just the, or the essence of you. Who do they see? What do they enjoy being with you? And from their perspective, just see if they would wish you well and want to know what your truth is. It's probably all they wish for you to be happy and to really know who you are. Just really drink yourself in from their vantage point. And now, imagine your consciousness can now float back from their perspective and come right back inside your own body, your own being. Stay connected to what your friends saw friend sees and just wish yourself well either in first person or second person may you really see all the goodness inside may you see and share everything that needs to be shared may you be happy or may I be happy Just wish yourself well. Okay. You can open your eyes if you like. Could you see a glimpse in there? When I did that with myself, by the way, it wasn't like, oh my God, you are an amazing human being. It was just, you know, you're okay. You're, you're a good guy. That was it. You know, you're a good guy. Oh, what a relief. Oh, that I have a right to just be here? Um, so, with that in mind, okay, I, I'm, I think I want to do this one, one other piece that I wasn't planning on. I'd like you to um, find another person. This will be a little bit of a stretch, okay? 
and I'd like you to share what your friend sees in you and to be witnessed and to witness another person. Okay? So, uh, you can, if you want, you can be with the same person if you've come with somebody and want to uh, do that or you can be with somebody else. Just turn right now uh, and find a partner. Okay? And raise your hand if you need a, a partner. Just look around. Here, take a look. Monica, here, uh, Om- Omri. Monica. Uh, anyone else who needs a partner? Jim? Here's somebody who's looking for a partner. Anyone else? And somebody might be coming from from the. Uh, uh, okay, so person, uh, uh, both of you, take a look at each other, and uh, put a frown on your face. First frown. Okay. <laughs> okay. You start. And the other person, you're just witnessing. You're just witnessing. And for the next two minutes, uh, share uh, what your friend sees. Why, uh, why they like being with you. Okay? Don't hold back. Okay? Go. Here, Jim, you can come up here. be good. Yeah, okay, that would be great. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Oh, it's okay. Uh. <laughs> oh, thanks.
ready, when you're ready, switch. Okay, yeah. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you so much. Great. Okay, finishing up, why don't you take another minute or two uh, to just have a conversation about that. Okay, start finishing. Uh.
And uh, as you're finishing, just go inside for a moment now. Go inside and notice what it was like to be witnessed for who you are or to witness another. And to sense that both of you have a right to be here. And what you say counts. Okay, you can thank your partner and go back. So, <clears throat> was that okay? <clears throat> Not bad, huh? Did anybody say, oh, stop it? Huh? <laughs> no, it's kind of nice to celebrate somebody. And it's kind of interesting that we're, we're often the last people last ones to see who we really are. Your friends see who you are without you doing... You can't do any... You can't stop being who you are, but somehow they like you, right? But you're looking... We're often... Not everybody. We're often looking through the filter of, oh, if they only saw that about me or that about me or, you know, knew what was really going on. You're the one that's missing out what everybody else sees, as I often say, suppose you met somebody who really got your take on things, who, who, who liked your sense of humor, who um, appreciated your taste, who understood your hopes and your fears, who really, really understood you. How would you feel about meeting somebody like that? Wouldn't it be good? There's one person that gets every joke that goes through your head. <laughs> Only one. Unfortunately, they're right inside your own skin. But if you met yourself from the outside, you'd be saying, where have you been all my life? Isn't that strange? So, partly this is seeing, oh, I'm, I'm okay. I have a right to be here. I was once in... Uh, uh, at a three-month retreat in 1979, the Dalai Lama came at the end of this three-month retreat. It was the first time he came to uh, the States. And he came. He heard there was a three-month retreat going on, and this is like the, the last week of the retreat. Great way to break a retreat, have the Dalai Lama come and do some Q&A. And somebody, um, somebody raised their hand and said, um, Your Holiness, um, could you give some advice on how to deal with, with self-hatred. And it took a while for the translator to, trans to have him understand the term. It went back and forth 
until finally he got it and he said, you're wrong. <laughs> he said, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. Imagine sitting for three months and the Dalai Lama coming all around and saying, you're wrong. But he said it with tremendous compassion. And he said, what makes you think that everything else, this is what I got from it anyway. I'm kind of paraphrasing him. What makes you think that everything else belongs in this universe and somehow you're a mistake? You're not good enough. You are wrong. There's a, a line I love from um, The Course in Miracles, a beautiful body of, of uh, Christian wisdom. It says, believing in your littleness is arrogant because it prefers it's it's preferring your own opinion to God's. Believing in your littleness is arrogant because you're preferring your own opinion to God's. And once we see, oh, I'm okay, I have a right to be here, I have something to say, I'm just life expressing itself in this form that has just as much to offer as anybody else, then you um, have a little bit more confidence that it's okay to speak up. At the same time, like I said before, it's important to feel safe enough to speak up. So I wanted to share with you another practice that I found I find very helpful. It's another meta practice that I've kind of come up with that helps you feel protected in certain um, situations where it's not so safe, where there's negative energy coming to you. The Dalai Lama, another one of his lines that I love, he says, if you've come out with a positive energy and whatever you do, there's negative energy coming to you from someone or somewhere, that's the time to find the nearest exit. At some point, you don't have to stay there. And it's important to know what your limits are and what your boundaries are and what's healthy for you and what's not healthy for you. Okay. So here's a little meta practice that I, um, I find helpful and share with pe- for myself and, and share with other people as well when it's not so safe to say or to be around negative energy. As the Buddha says, try to avoid the company of the foolish and keep the company of the wise. But it's not always possible. So, so here's, try this one. Close your eyes. And from your own good heart that you just got in touch with, just calling on all the forces of goodness in life to respond to this good heart, the sincerity of heart, and surround you with a field of benevolence. Just imagine being surrounded by a field of goodwill. All the forces of good. And if this field had a color, what color would you imagine it to be? There's no right or wrong. Just what color or colors would you imagine? And surround yourself with that color, with that field. 
However, this field has some special properties. It can let all the goodness in and let your own good heart shine out. But it's semi-permeable and it can keep out any negativity. So your own light can shine out and the goodwill of others can be received, but it keeps out any negativity that doesn't serve you. Just get a sense of being held in a field of safety and protection. In this colored field that you've created. And get a sense of what that's like to be held by life. And know that you don't have to let in any negativity that doesn't serve you. That it's okay to protect yourself and feel safe. And you can imagine perhaps in places where there's some unsafety or danger, just calling on this color and on all the forces of goodness to support you and protect you. And that it's okay to know your limits and take good care of yourself. comments before we move on. Okay. So it's I thought we'd go to 12:30 but um is it okay to keep on going? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's that? Oh, you. Oh, oh, I I got permission from from the brakeman. Uh um Okay, thank you. I'm sorry. In the afternoon, we'll, we'll have a break. <laughs> Just for you. Um, so this is kind of like the the, the foundation. Yeah, and, and please uh, take care of yourself as you need. Uh, for now, stepping forward and having the courage to to say what's what's true. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, please. Uh, here, let's take the, the microphone. Yeah. 
Uh, thank you. So um, I think you sort of answered this, but I just want to explore it a little bit more. Please. And the question was, you know, when you're thinking about what other people think are good about you, and then that self-doubt comes in, and you think, well, um, if they only knew this, then they wouldn't think that. Mm -hmm. And I think what you said later on, you know, about you, by being arrogant, the universe, that, I thought that was very helpful for that. But could you explore a little bit more how you combat, I guess, the imposter syndrome or that thought that if they really knew? About, about the things that are that are less than yes, less than positive you know uh -huh. um, yeah we all have places of confusion until we're fully enlightened there's work to do even great masters as we know can fall from their pedestals and so to see the humanness in us, when I see someone, and uh, this is an ongoing process, yeah, basically I know I'm a good guy, but I, I see within me capacities. Uh, Shulsa, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn uh, has this, this uh, line. He says, if only it were so simple, if only all we had to do was take uh, was remove all the evil people and and put them away so that they didn't bother us but the line uh, between good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to uh, to take a piece of his own heart um, and so part of the process is seeing all of our shortcomings, weaknesses, areas of development and seeing when I see that in myself and I get humbled every now and then oh my goodness I can't believe it did that this is a I say uh, a, a little axiom every now and then it's good to be humbled it, it, it removes the arrogance and the self-righteousness and it shows my humanness and all I, when I see it, it's like, you know, the word for sin, the actual translation of the word sin is missing the mark. I've just missed the mark. I've just lost myself. And so it's an ongoing process of being really honest with myself and seeing, oh, what leads to suffering and what leads to happiness and can I learn as one, one of my teachers says as long as you're learning there's no mistakes and so when I see my own shortcomings it gives me that much more compassion for everybody else it gives me that much more compassion we'll, we'll get to this uh, in, the, in the afternoon for people who do crazy things and when I see that I have that capacity and I still have some waking up to do, it helps me open up to, to the humanness of it all. Knowing as long as I'm committed to facing in the right direction, the Buddha has, the Buddha has one discourse. He's actually, um, it's a discourse to his son. It's for those who like the scholars in the audience. It's Maji Manakaya number 61. And he says to his son, Rahula, who was uh, young, a young boy, 
time. He says, you might not, uh, you, you might uh, uh, be about to do something or say something and you're wondering, is this going to be for the good or am I going to regret this? And he says, if you can see it before and you don't want to cause, you don't want to suffer yourself, don't cause suffering. But then he goes on to say, you might not catch it in time. And you might be in the middle of the words or the actions. And if you can, remember to reflect, oh, where is this leading? Is this going to be harmful? Am I going to be paying a price for this? Or is it leading to happiness? And if you can and see where it's leading to, don't go the suffering route. But he continues on, he says, you might not realize it until after the fact. And he says, when you realize that you've done something that's not so wholesome or helpful, and we all have that waking up to do, don't beat yourself up. This is not his words, I'm paraphrasing it, actually. Um, and instead of guilt, I'm, I come from a lineage of guilt, I know guilt, uh, he says, apply wise remorse or wise reflection where you reflect on what can I learn from having gone through that? And he, he advises actually to speak to somebody, a wise elder, if it's, on, if it's a burden on your chest. We all know to make amends if you can. But rather than guilt being a self-perpetuating thing where you just say, yeah, I really am rotten, or you go ahead and do something else to confirm what a rotten person you are, to keep on learning and waking up, you're in the direction of more and more waking up, and so you commit as best you can to do it differently in the future. Then there's nothing wasted. And then what starts to happen is, and this is one of my uh, axioms, if I'm at that choice point and I'm about to click the send button on the email, you know, they really do deserve it. And there's a part of me that says, mm, how's this going to feel? I, you, you can get, if you slow down enough, you can get sensitive when it starts to feel off. And just think to yourself, how am I going to feel about this a week from now? Or maybe even 10 minutes later. Or six months from now. Because the way we're wired up, on the front end, things feel so right and justified and good or really good. Yeah, that's going to feel good. And then we don't realize how much, how many mind moments on the back end we say, Oh, what was I thinking? You know, it's just kind of how the game is played. Sometimes I think of the spiritual journey as learning the power of delayed gratification. Where you see, how am I going to feel about this later on? Am I going to look back and say, oh, why did I do that? And save yourself so many unpleasant mind moments as one of my heroes, Michelle Obama says, when they go low, we go high. 
but it's a process of learning all the time. And so that's where forgiveness is such a key piece. It was going to be, um, yeah. And forgiving ourselves is, is, is a big part of it. Um, so that's what I have to say. Yeah. Any, any other questions about anything that's come up so far? Yeah, oh, over here. Um, oh, here's, we got it. You, you were talking uh, earlier about uh, the wise being with the wise, and not being with the, with the wise. Yeah, and uh, this, in a way, is very similar to the good. Let's 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 keep the good and send all the bad in a way, because in a way, also we sometimes we are all fools, obviously. And uh, I think since we are speaking about courage, then there is a big question on when do you know that these fools are non non-convertible or non-convertible for me um, if you can speak about that mm. yeah well, and that's that's partly what uh, we're going to get to that lot in the in the afternoon um, so uh, I make sure that uh, I mean that is a big piece of what we're going to get to in the afternoon um, but to To see that this is our one of the great challenges of our time, I'll just give a little coming attraction that you do what you need to do with courage, but not with hate, because that just adds. That just adds to the hatred as as the Buddha says, hatred never ceases by hatred, hatred ceases by love alone. This is an ancient and eternal law, so this is the big challenge to speak truth courageously without having hatred in your heart, and it's not always easy, but if you really want to be as effective and as aligned and as um, tapped into a power that's much greater than you, that force of truth that is coming from love, that's, that's what we're talking about. So that's, that's the afternoon. We're just kind of building up to that. Yeah. Yeah, there's the microphone. Would you substitute the word judgment for hate? Because um, I go no, with judgment, not hate. <laughs> no, there can be... Well, judgment, there's... Um, the word judgment is... has a couple of different ways of, uh, of, of um, being defined. There's judgment in the form of wise discernment, discriminating wisdom. We need to have wise discernment and see yes, no. Like the Buddha says uh, to the Kalamas, he, he, he says, don't believe anybody. Don't believe even the Buddha. Don't believe any authorities. Don't even believe your own views. 
But when you see for yourself, oh, this leads to suffering and you don't want to suffer, then don't go there. When you see for yourself, this leads to well-being and you value that, then go there. You need to discern between the two. The The other kind of judgment that has a kind of self-righteousness in it, that gets tricky. As well, I'm gonna, uh, There's a bunch of Martin Luther King quotes I'm, I'm going to use, but one that I'll share right now that I love. You have no moral authority over anyone who can feel your underlying contempt. That's a good one. <laughs> you have no moral authority under anyone who can feel your underlying contempt. So, to ha- if you want to have moral authority, which is really tapping into that power, how do you do it without contempt? And again, that's what we'll be exploring in the afternoon. Yay. <laughs> so stick around. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and anything else before we go on? Okay, so there's one. So there's one more piece that I want to do this morning. So we so far have explored about mm, your uh, loving the truth, your right to be here, your uh, your uh, seeing your goodness, being able to uh, understand the importance of healthy boundaries. And now, somehow, finding the courage to step forward, to go beyond the inertia. And as I said earlier, I was very shy, and um, it took me a while to to learn this. <clears throat> I'll share my own little story, and then have you explore yours. Really, when I <clears throat> when I first started traveling by myself, that was the big, uh, the dramatic shift of possibility. How many people have traveled by themselves? Okay, yeah. There's something really special about it, isn't it? All of a sudden, you can be anybody. <laughs> oh my goodness! I don't have to be who everybody thinks, who I know everybody knows me, but they don't really know me because I've all of a sudden discovered a whole other part of me that I didn't know. How cool. And when I was a school, I was a school teacher for a number of years, um, <clears throat> in the late 60s and 70s, and my first uh, uh, summer that I was, uh, I decided to, to travel. My friend, the year before, said he was traveling to Europe by himself. And I said, really? You're going by yourself? Wow. Where are you go- what are you going to do when you land? I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> and it, it got me so kind of excited and scared that somehow part of me said, I've got to do this. Scared as hell, but I've got to do it. And uh, the, 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 the big turning point moment where I realized I wasn't in Kansas anymore, that New, Queens, New York, I should say, but um, 
was I was uh, um, I was in Piccadilly Circus in in uh, in, in London, and I, I play guitar. And for some reason, when I sing with people, not performing, but when I get people to sing together, oh, I wonder if we have a guitar. Uh, it's fun, and I'm I'm not nearly as shy. If I'm performing, that's a whole that was a whole other thing. But singing with people, so I brought my I had my guitar with me when I went to Europe. It was one way to meet people, and there I was in Piccadilly Circus and doing Beatles songs and stuff that everybody knew. And so you know we were having a good time. And there was one um, young woman who caught my eye. Truth be told, <laughs> and. I was saying, gee, it'd be so nice to get to know her, whatever. And she's there with her friends, and I was singing for a while. And then at some point, she and her friends started to leave. And I don't know what came over me. I, I wasn't thinking, but I stopped, and I said, oh, you can't go yet. And she looked at me like, oh. I said, oh, can I, can I meet you later I'd never done anything like that like you know that if you're a guy in the old days where you called up a girl you dialed (laughs) that's how old it was where you called up and, and asked for a date I don't know if they do that these days anymore but my heart would be pounding oh my god I'm gonna call up so and so I'd never done this before and and I just wasn't thinking. She said, oh, okay. And she gave me her contact information. I think we did go out once. I don't even remember. Nothing ever happened. Nothing came of it. But after she left, I s- said to myself, what did I just do? Because <laughs> uh, my mind didn't get in the way. There was something else that was urging me on, motivating me. And and it was like, oh my God, I can be whoever I want here. And uh, uh, just another, uh, on my, my journey, another time where I didn't let my timidity uh, get in the way was when I first heard the Dharma. And um, in 1974 at Naropa, uh, I had been carrying around Be Here Now like a Bible for for a few years, for three years before then. But I uh, and and I met Ram Dass, who told me to go to uh, Joseph Goldstein's class, and uh, I sat there and I found what I was looking for, and I was so hungry. I was very confused. I had a lot of suffering, so much so that I was motivated to do this. That. It was one of the first times that I was so greedy for the Dharma, I wouldn't let my shyness get in the way. And it took me about three or four classes before I approached Joseph and said, can I talk with you? And then once we started having some kind of a relationship, I was greedy. You know, I mean, I wanted to respect my teachers, but I wouldn't hold back and I just badgered with questions, you know. I wanted to know so much. And because my heart said, I, I have to find out as much as I can about this. I really want all the answers. And I can't, 
I can't let my smallness get in the way. Trungpa Rinpoche, who started Naropa, crazy wisdom teacher, had this beautiful line. He says, timidity is just another ego trip. Timidity is just another ego trip. You know, or Marianne Williamson has has this this beautiful teaching. She says, your playing small doesn't serve the world. There, there's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that others uh, will, will feel bigger. And as we are liberated from our own fears, as we are, as we are, are liberated from our own fears, that, that liberates everybody else. So to get over your timidity and to find the courage, where does that come from? And I just invite you to um, go inside for a moment and think in your own life when you had the courage to step forward. And it doesn't have to be something huge, you know, it can be something as silly as, you know, stopping a guitar and asking somebody for their number. Uh, when is there a time in your your life that you can remember that you stepped forward and didn't let your timidity stop you? Or you whether or you were courageous and said something in a very um, uh, unpredictable place, but you just had to speak your truth. Or it might have been in a, with a relative saying things or a friend that needed to be said. And if you can recall... Get in touch with what it was that enabled you to do that, to step outside your comfort zone. What was going on there? How were you able to make that leap? What qualities did you get in touch with? So that your mind didn't get in the way. And if you are getting in touch with something now, just celebrate that you have that capacity. that you can more and more cultivate that courage that allows you to step forward. So now... Rather than, uh, and in the interest of time as well, but rather than having you do it, I was going to have you do it in, a, in triads, but um, I think it might be uh, 
might be good to just hear the group, the wisdom of the group from as as many as um, we can in the next oh, five or ten minutes uh, without getting into all the details but just the essence of and what it, what it, how it was that you were able to uh, to step forward yes yeah oh, there's the and speak right into the mic like an ice cream cone uh, uh, that you're about to lick yeah the um, <laughs> is this close enough <laughs> um, the simplified feeling of your question which was what allowed you to step into that state and for me it was um, embodying and knowing and welcoming and um, initiating towards goodness and love and that that was greater than anything personal to me. And um, looking at a few different events, it's the same feeling of stepping into connection towards love for the greater group beyond myself. Thank you for this exercise. Thank you. Well, you pretty much just summed up the afternoon. So, uh, <laughs> but we'll go into it a bit deeper. Uh, thank you. Yeah, and I'd much rather have the wisdom come from from you than than me. Thank you. Just as you're saying that, do you remember how it felt? It, there, there's, and here's something that I find really helpful. Besides just the idea or the or the oh yeah, that happened then to have that embodied memory, it's right in there. I could kind of feel a transmission as you were saying it, that your body knows what it's like to step into goodness and love. Yeah. Go, keep on going for that feeling. It's, it's the best. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, here, raise your hand. Real close. Yeah. I recently have a desire, I think maybe from the fires, but to um, debaggage uh, material possessions and uh, live life a little lighter. I was so fearless when I was younger, and I think it was I had nothing to lose. Everything I could fit in the back of my car, and... Um, I was extremely fearless. I'm not sure that my newfound fear is not from wanting to maintain lifestyle, from wanting to maintain image. And the neighbors who are losing everything and um, the realization of of how easily all the stuff uh, can go has really encouraged me to get rid of it all and uh, go back to the... Uh, fearlessness of of having nothing to lose. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. Actually, I, I'm oh. gonna, I, I wanted to say something. So, yes, yeah, right now, um, I, I realized in doing it that the the times I think back on when I was most courageous often involved moves, moving somewhere mm. often overseas to live, and then in fact, I think what was so 
common there was really listening to that very, very deep voice in me that said, this is what I've got to do despite what parents, friends, anybody and everybody else think and say. Um, And getting comfortable with that and really listening and going for it took, took time often, but when I did and then made that move, it was always the best thing I'd done for myself yet, always. Mm, beautiful. So let me ask you, what does that voice sound like? How do you know, how do you know it's a voice you can trust? Well, I remember one time it, it told me in no uncertain terms that I had to go to the Soviet Union, of all places, but um, that was very, very strong. It's rarely that strong. I think it's... Um, It's just about self-care and that what I'm doing (laughs) is not selfish Mm. because I'm not putting other people first or or I'm putting myself first. I think there's a big association there that's pretty old and deep. So once I I really get clear that this is right, it feels right, it's, it's what I need to do, it's not screw you to everyone else, but it's sort of like, I've got to do this. And mm-hmm. you're going to have your opinions and thoughts and feelings, but this is what i got to do. Mm-hmm. And okay. Period. End of story. Thank you. Yeah. So, and this is something, after we take a few comments, uh, that I wanted to have us explore. How do we know that voice inside? And there's there's not any one right answer, one right answer but there's some pointers uh, but when we hear that voice, like you said, you couldn't ignore it. Thank you. There was somebody else that had a hand. <coughs> yeah, I um, I often will find, and it's, it's like you said transmission on, on an earlier comment, and that aspect of communication with a partner and something that was bothering me a bit and it wasn't that it needed to change but it was an expression that kept returning and I had this deep felt that it would be helpful to say it even if it hurts and yet knew somewhere in my body I had this anxious feeling that I needed to share that even if it wasn't useful that it would help deepen the communication and I I don't have the word, it's a body sense felt. What's the body sense? What does it feel like? That it's just, it's an unrestfulness of not voicing that experience of mine. Even though I know it might create disrest or, and so, ah. I'm wrestling with how to come to terms when that comes up mm-hmm. as to whether it's it's beneficial or is it me being judgmental and wanting to be right. Mm. Okay. So um, I'm wrestling with that. Is mm-hmm. is it better to find comfort in the expression so that I don't have that anxious body felt or is it the training to come to rest with that anxiousness within my own being? Mm. And it's a struggle, because I have this, I won't say intuitive, but just this presence awareness when you get to that intimacy of 
kind of some of the communications that we've been doing that's so revealing that things have a felt sense. When you're willing to drop those veils of expectation and just rest in kind of, I think what we'll look at is the perceiving of the body and where it resides. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and, and we'll, this is, an, again, something that we'll be talking about in the afternoon um, uh, as far as skillful speech. Um, but I, I think a, a key is what do you hope to accomplish? accomplish. What's your intention? Um, yeah. Whether is it to... Personal benefit or other benefit? And, yeah. yeah. And or, or better communication or more alienation? Mm. Okay, it wasn't really clear at the time for me, so that's useful. Mm -hmm. And you kind of see what the result is, as long as, like I said before, as long as you're learning, there are no mistakes. But um, (laughs) the Buddha, sometimes his his response was just a smile and silence. And his guideline... We'll go into this a bit more in the afternoon is saying what's truthful what's useful which includes incorporates beneficial and saying it in a kind way in a way that it can really be heard and to get in touch with your intention behind the communication and all of those are an ongoing practice. Um, and they, they help to kind of clarify, okay, why am I saying what I'm saying? So, thank you. Uh, a few more? Okay, let's go. Yes. Hi. Hi. Um, the, times that I've been able to, the times that I've been able to speak um, and the truth are just the... When the pain of regret, I just feel it. Like if I don't seize this moment, I'm not going to have another moment. So mm-hmm. it's allowed me to speak my truth. And it's it's hard because I'm timid and I don't want to put anyone on the spot. But there are some times where that, so just the thinking of the fear of regret, if I let a moment pass me by, I'm not going to have another moment. Mm. So that seizes me to action. And I'm getting more comfortable with it. And now it's just kind of finding the gracefulness in speaking because it's mm-hmm. still new. But, so it's regretting yeah. not having spoken. Right. It's like, let's not miss the moment. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Right. It's great to to be in touch with that, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Wait, hang on. Uh, just, yeah. Uh, for me, the... I, what I felt drawing back, and, and I can actually very much relate to what was said. Uh, I guess my, you'd say, I don't know if it's being smart or wise, but uh, I could see that uh, in the ending of a very explosive conversation, if I don't return back and just give a hug and say, I know we both mean well, and we, we can't get there, but I know we both mean well. Uh, I, I could see how not doing it will 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 take the situation exactly where I don't want it to go, mm-hmm. and so I guess it was my wit that 
It was your my 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 brain my your, my, your, my rationale. So there was my ability to to understand the consequences mm. of what I do, but also what I do not do, uh-huh. and then to do. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Amri. Um, I actually had a situation with a teacher, Scrosser. Yeah. Uh, I had a situation with a teacher where I was um, talking to this person for for a few times, the consecutive times, like we had a relationship. And at some point I was very hurt by this person. Like I felt every time I would go to the meetings, I felt very hurt. I would come out afterwards and like feel very demotivated and that I'm not doing things right or my practice and all these things and feeling... Uh, yeah, just feeling that it's not helpful and that some things like cross the line. But I knew that I couldn't talk to this person directly about it, but I was debating like talking to the other teacher that I was talking to. And I just felt that I had to, to put this in words and uh, communicate what I was feeling, but I had to wait. Like I had to take really a few days mm. and and not connect the hurt with the words. Like, mm. take the hurt, feel the hurt, let that, that, that wave came in, like, it was just very, very angry. I knew that if I talked to the actual teacher, I would just blow up and say things that are not good. And I just had to, just to let go of that, that revenge, or like the, the, the I don't know how to say, like the automatic thing of, of coming right back. Mm-hmm. And just feeling the hurt, and then at some point it just I was it just started to feel calmer. Okay, now I can just say things as objectively, so to speak, or whatever. Just say things as they are, and it's also bigger than me. Mm-hmm. Maybe it will help other people that come in contact, or I don't know. Something just kind of shifted mm-hmm. there with just the time. Beautiful, yeah. To know when to talk and when not to talk. And when we need to process internally the feelings so that they come out, whatever the communication comes out, that much more skillfully. Yeah, excellent. There's, the, there's this, uh, uh, this notion of, uh, it's called the refractory period, when you're triggered and you are out of your mind and people do crazy things that sometimes they regret for their the rest of their life while they're out of their mind and then they come to their senses and mindfulness by the way is shown to shorten that refractory period but that if you know you're in the middle you are you you're losing it find some other safer way to discharge all of that intense energy and cortisol and adrenaline going through and then as you come back to your senses as it's called then there's a possibility of more skillful communication it's really important yeah maybe one more and then uh, and then we'll then we'll go oh okay sorry uh so two more yeah okay. yes uh, it's um i think the few times that i felt I step forward is when the desire and love for life is greater than my fear for hurt or failure. Your um, desire for for life itself. It's just like the love of life itself. Mm. It just it's a primal 
life force energy coming through to say, I want to live a fully lived life. And I think that's what comes through. Fabulous. Are you in touch with that these days? Yeah, I used to be have a really fear wilderness, and I'm a nature meditation teacher. Mm. A lover of life. Uh-huh. Excellent. Well, there's okay. There's yes, and there's all the way in the back. I'll, yes, okay. one last one. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Practicing courage right now. Good. Because I feel the way you described in calling the woman on the phone to ask her out. <laughs> We're all here rooting you on. Okay. Um, when I was reflecting on a time where I felt the most courageous, um, I had been doing a lot of practices, and so I had been cultivating a lot of presence and, and got in alignment with my own truth. And there was a moment where I felt like scales tipped and I valued truth and authenticity above everything else. It was just, I was so in touch with the desire to be authentic. And I held that as my touchstone in walking through this very difficult thing that changed my whole life. And um, it was interesting you spoke to this, just the relief in, or the feeling when you hear the truth. It was like I aligned with the truth and there was such a tremendous relief in that. Mm-hmm. And then I felt buoyed by it. Mm-hmm. I could feel the support come in and like buoying me on my path. And I won't say it wasn't difficult, but I kept coming back to that. I value authenticity above all else. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And that, and that can be, that's a life-changing moment if you keep on coming back to that as your, your touchstone. Yeah. Thank you. It was all the way in the back she's been helping. So one last one and then we'll, uh, uh, then we'll break for lunch uh, for a closing. Real close to your mouth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, The motivation for me was uh, a situation where I had the knowledge to protect and clear harm would be done Mm -hmm. if I didn't speak up. Mm -hmm. And so it was simple. It was just me out of the way and uh, just had to speak to protect others' children. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you. So that's a, that's another thing when it's bigger than you, and there's something um, something deeper, a power that uses us. Thank you. So before we go, I just want to share with you my um, guiding principle for that voice that uh, Dwight was, was bringing in before. We all, we all know the truth inside, or our, at least our truth inside, if we can learn to hear it. But there's so many voices going through, like you were saying before, it can be a lot of static. How do I know which voice to listen to? But when it's loud and clear, when you had that 
authenticity, living in authenticity or loving life, is sometimes it's so loud and clear that you can't ignore it. But sometimes it's not as clear. And so one of the mm, gifts of meditation is learning to listen more and more skillfully to the truth inside. The archetype of this uh, that I, I love is Milarepa in the, the Tibetan iconography. You can always tell it's Milarepa. He has his hand to his ear. He's the, he's the yogi with his hand to his ear and he's listening to the song of the Dharma. And that's what we're learning to do in the meditation, which we'll do more of in the afternoon as well that we're learning to listen to the truth in this moment and more and more learning to listen to the truth right inside. Now, there's lots of different voices. When you hear that voice of truth, let me ask, what's the tone that it comes in if it's in the word? Just, you can uh, shout out. What's, what, what's the tone of, uh, for you? It's not any one right answer I'm looking for. What does it sound like? What is it? Still. Uh, distilled. Distilled? Distilled, okay. Distilled, yes. What else? Calm. And... Uh, Loud so I can hear. What? Clear. Clear. Definite. Definite. Yeah. What was it? Strong. Strong. Knowing. Knowing. What is it? Urgent. Urgent. Yeah. And what's the what's the energy uh, in it? Supportive. So just in the interest of time, there's all kinds of voices that come through. Many with a wagging finger, you better not blow it. Or if you don't, all hell is going to break loose. But when you hear it for me, and I think for most of us, when there's, it comes in a sound, it's supportive, it's clear, it's kind often sometimes it can be fierce but you know that it's on your side and there's something that you can trust in that that's very different than the judgmental kind of voice that says it's the, that's the voice of fear and this is a voice of truth and wisdom and let me ask how does it feel in your body when you are in touch with that what is it? Back home. Back home. Great. Back home. You're at home. What else? Relief. Invigorating. What is it? Ease. What is it? Suffering. If it's in contrast to reality. If it's in the voice of truth is it when you realize, when you realize, you realize where you are where you, where you want to be uh-huh. in a judgmental sense but, uh, in a, in uh, it's painful that 
the 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 distance between reality okay it's suffering and is it is it uh is it a uh, um uh, so it can be painful in your body when you realize that you're out of alignment with the truth okay and when when there's that clarity any other thing you feel well for me this is a this is a simple guideline that seems to be pretty universal In, in Buddhist teachings, there are wholesome states and unwholesome states. Unwholesome states, greed, hatred, delusion, fear, um, jealousy, uh, you know those guys, right? They're all contracted and agitated states. And then there's wholesome states, love, compassion, generosity, patience. They're all states of expansion. And if you feel in your, in your body when when it's this voice with the wagging finger there's a contraction in the body when there's alignment there's ease there's openness there's a kind of um clarity and expansiveness and rightness as somebody said you can your body doesn't lie and so to learn to listen to your body and to listen, ah, this is, I can trust this. But if there's something off, your body will tell you, even if your mind isn't. Mm, you know when you're kind of feeling like, oh, I don't know about this. Listen to it, trust it. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be safe and happy, but it, there's that rightness that says, I'm going to regret if I don't do this, that you can't ignore. So a lot of Speaking your truth is first learning how to listen to it, like Milarepa, and listen to either the tone in the mind or the feeling in, in your body. Um, so, with that in mind, and uh, um, uh, we, it's uh, time for lunch. Uh, I hope you enjoy your lunch and enjoy this beautiful day. And we'll let's come back. Uh, let's take an. Mm, an hour and uh, an hour and a quarter for lunch. Let's come back at five after two. Just give yourself a little bit of time. It's a beautiful day. You can go up to the top and look at the uh, at the retreat center up there. And we'll ring the bell outside at two o'clock, and then uh, come back here. Let's get started at five to, at five after. Enjoy your lunch.
And there's a wasp there, but I accidentally
Excuse me. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much. <clears throat> okay. One thing I forgot to um, encourage you is to taste your lunch. <clears throat> Anybody taste their lunch? It takes a little bit of extra um, focus or nudging sometimes, an old poly word, nudging, um, to, uh, to remember to be here for it, but why not? So, um, <clears throat> how about if we start out with, with a little bit of a, sit, a short sit? I don't want you to fall asleep. Well, you might fall asleep. I don't want you to go into too deep a sleep, but um, just to arrive here. And once again, <clears throat> go inside. And uh, we'll sit for, say, 10 minutes. Uh, go inside and just connect with the fact that you're alive. It's a pretty amazing thing.
life has somehow come together into this form called you. Feel a connection to the earth. This amazing planet that supports us in so many ways and needs our caring. And let your posture be both an expression of upright wakefulness and dignity as well as ease and receptivity. You might take a few deeper breaths as you start just breathing in a calming energy. Let it fill your whole being. And as you breathe out, let go. Relax, relax, release. Let the breath find its own natural rhythm. Let the breath breathe you. And simply know what's happening right now whether it's sitting here breathing or hearing or feeling or sitting. Just what's happening now? Let this moment be just the way it is, the truth of this moment. And open to it with a kindness with interest, with a relaxed awareness, just one moment at a time.
that was so nice. I, <laughs> it was a little bit more than ten minutes. I couldn't. I, I couldn't stop. <laughs> it's a good thing I did probably, but. Is uh, <coughs> mm. it nice to just hit the reset button of all activity? I, I hope it is for you. It is for me. <clears throat> okay, so this afternoon wanted to really uh, dive into this idea of courage and speaking our truth. And I wanted to share with you a few, um, I have some audio-visual supports as well uh, that have inspired me. Because that's that's the thing, we can inspire each other. There's something called the elevation response that uh, psychologist Jonathan Haidt, I think, coined it, where we, we... uh, see others do something noble and we get uplifted and inspired and motivated. It helps us bring out the the nobility in ourselves. Um, so I have some of those to share as we explore. So the first um, <clears throat> principle that I wanted to uh, yeah, explore with you is this idea of standing in our truth and the power that comes when we are aligned with truth. Gandhi called it Satyagraha, the truth force, the force of truth. When you are there's something, somebody was saying it here, something larger than yourself, that it's not about you, but it's about um, something bigger than you that you tap into and are feeling the energy and the, um, the, the support of life moving through you. And when you are so aligned with truth at times if the fear doesn't get in the way um, you can withstand a tremendous barrage of um, of danger and, and threat and that's what Gandhi did for instance it's what Martin Luther King did um, and what other inspiring figures have done when they are speaking the truth or letting the truth speak through them. And I wanted to share with you, let me see if I can get this to do its thing. So, 
Come on now. He promised me this would work. Oh, there you are. You are around. Oops. Oh, good. <laughs> so I'm hitting the AV mute button. Do I just press it once and then? Oh, good. This is Jesse who keeps things rolling. Alright, so first I wanted to, uh, let's see, this, pardon looking at my email, Um, these are all things with Jesse, uh, (laughs) so I've had a lot of correspondence. First I wanted to uh, show you uh, some pictures of some friends. I'm very fortunate to know some really special people. Can everyone see? Am I in the way? No. Um, let me see if I can expand this. I'll get this off. Uh, oh well. This is, uh, perhaps you might recognize anybody who know who that, that is? It's Daniel Ellsberg and Patricia Ellsberg, right over there. And um, um, maybe some of you aren't familiar with Daniel Ellsberg. Uh, he was the the first great whistleblower of our time. Who um, there's been a movie about? Oh, the what was the movie that Steven Spielberg? Uh, just did uh, last year with uh, Meryl Streep, was it? And Tom Hanks. What was it? The Post. It was called The Post. Yeah. It was the Washington Post covering when Daniel, Daniel Ellsberg was, um, he was, he worked for the government, for the Rand Corporation. And he, um, so he was a government worker during the Vietnam War, and he saw all the lies that we were putting out. And at some point, because he fell in love with Patricia, uh, who at first said, you have to come to demonstrations with me if you, if you want to have our relationship uh, continuing, uh, peace demonstrations. And at some point, he had a... Um, he broke down, uh, saw what he was involved in, and uh, decided to blow the whistle and uh, copy, I think it was 7,000 pages uh, that are called the Pentagon Papers, that turned uh, the uh, public opinion uh, against the Vietnam War. It was a, the big turning point in in the Vietnam War in our country. And um, 
they went into he went into hiding for um, I forget how long quite quite a few months maybe four or five months or so um, Henry Kissinger uh, and Nixon called him the most dangerous man in the in the in the in the uh, in the world I think there's a movie called the most dangerous man in the world and um, he was in hiding and up for 119 years of of jail time if they found him. That was what, what they were going to nail him for. And at some point, he came out. Um, fortunately, he never had to serve any jail time because there were some loopholes that they they saw flaws in the um, uh, in in the government's argument. But this is a mo- this is the moment that they came out. That Daniel came out and said, "Okay, here I am." And it's and uh, Daniel and Patricia are good friends. Patricia used to um, uh, be in my joy course a lot and lead the guided meditations, and she's uh, an amazingly beautiful person. And Daniel is still going strong. And this this picture is, um, or one of these three pictures is on their mantelpiece. And at this moment. That you could see the crush of everybody around them, and she has talked about this moment and has inspired me for years with it. At this moment, when they're speaking the truth, he's speaking, and there she is. She said it was like there was a force field around them, protecting them. That was stronger than any any threat, any fear. They were just there speaking the truth. And you can see her um, almost beati- beatific, beatified presence. And here it is. Truth, love, no matter what the field around them, that's satyagraha, the force of truth, when you're really saying what has to be said. There are, there's three pictures here. Here's another. There are, he's besieged, and look at her. Just and, and we need that kind of support, that kind of presence as well. It really helps to have one other person with you. You know, unless you're some amazing being, but there they were a team, and there she is, just her presence and her stability and her love supporting him. And here's can't see this one so much. Uh, maybe just expand. Uh, but that's just an example of this this force. I hope you can. You can get a sense of of what I'm talking about, and this is something that we can really take for ourselves. When we are so aligned with the truth, it doesn't matter what what is happening uh, outside of us. And you know, John Lewis, the same when uh, he talks about the you know going over the uh, Edmund uh, Pettus Bridge in Montgomery or Martin Luther King. Um, somehow 
fearless in the face of so much threat. Here's another example. This is a clip. What I, I've been uh, so inspired by uh, is uh, are some of the uh, climate uh, justice um, courageous heroes. Um, one who is in the news more than anyone is Greta Thunberg. This 16-year-old girl who, now, she was 15 at the time, at this time, she was... Um, My name wait, is Greta wait, Thunberg. I, wait, I won't start it just yet. Uh, if, and I'm sure it's hard not to know who she is now, but she has, uh, she talks about her uh, being on the, herself being on the autistic uh, autism spectrum, which she calls her superpower. It's her superpower because with the way that it manifests in her, she only is concerned about the truth, about the facts, about what's real, about science. And she doesn't have the same self-consciousness that most of us have, let alone teenagers, that she doesn't really, it's not a big thing, what will people think about me? She doesn't have that, it's kind of a blessing in some ways to not have that self-consciousness. She just wants to go for the truth. And there she was so disturbed when she first found out about climate at the age of eight or nine, and she went through a deep period of depression, uh, not eating when she was around 11 or 12 or so for quite some time, Mute, selective mutism. She only spoke when it was absolutely necessary to speak, which is still how she is, although she's doing a lot more speaking now. And this is when she first was at the Poland um, climate conference, COP24 conference, and she was not known. So this is before she, you know, had any kind of fame, uh, at least to most of the world, and speaking to all of these world leaders uh, about about climate. So uh, I was hugely inspired by by this, and uh, just thought I'd share Greta with you. Whoops. Now, what happened here? Now, Jesse? Somehow we lost the, the sound. It was there a moment ago. Uh, there it is. Many... 15 years old, Wait. and I'm from oh, Sweden. Sorry, one more time. My name is Greta Thunberg. I am 15. Huh. Hmm. 15 years old. Huh. Many people say that Sweden is just a small country. What is it? 
Am I, do we want? It's headlines. Oh, it's buffer. Oh, it needs to buffer. Ah, ah, ah. Okay. Oh, hold on a second. Uh, then let me let it buffer. Change the resolution. Uh, this is why we need we need many people here for quality. One forty-four. Three sixty. I take all the help I can get. <laughs> and uh, maybe I should, maybe I should buffer it for. Mm. There it's going. Here we go. Okay. I speak on behalf of Climate Justice Now. Many people say that Sweden is just a small country and it doesn't matter what we do. But I've learned that you are never too small to make a difference. And if a few children can get headlines all over the world just by not going to school, then uh, imagine wait a what we could all do together I have a couple if we of really wanted to. I have two... But to do that, we have to speak clearly, no matter how uncomfortable that may be. You only speak of green, eternal economic growth because you are too scared of being unpopular. You only talk about moving forward with the same bad ideas that got us into this mess, even when the only sensible thing to do is pull the emergency brake. You are not mature enough to tell it like it is. Even that burden you leave to us children. But I don't care about being popular. I care about climate justice and a living planet. Our civilization is being sacrificed for the opportunity of a very small number of people to continue making enormous amounts of money. Our biosphere is being sacrificed so that rich people in countries like mine can live in luxury. It is the sufferings of the many which pay for the luxuries of the few. The year 2078, I will celebrate my 75th birthday. If I have children, maybe they will spend that day with me. Maybe they will ask me about you. Maybe they will ask why you didn't do anything while there still was time to act. You say you love your children above all else, and yet you are stealing their future in front of their very eyes. Until you start focusing on what needs to be done rather than what is politically possible, there is no hope. We cannot solve a crisis without treating it as a crisis. We need to keep the fossil fuels in the ground and we need to focus on equity. And if solutions within this system are so impossible to find, then maybe we should change the system itself. We have not come here to beg world leaders to care. 
You have ignored us in the past and you will ignore us again. We have run out of excuses and we are running out of time. We have come here to let you know that change is coming, whether you like it or not. The real power belongs to the people. Thank you. So that was, um, that was when she was first um, getting a voice. And, um, you know, I just feel like um, this might be controversial, although I'm in the Bay Area. Um, to see that it's not only... It doesn't only mean that you're you're soft and and polite. That sometimes there needs to be real fierceness in your courage to speak the truth. So <coughs> you've probably seen this. How many people have seen her speech at the UN? So uh, I've seen this about oh twenty times at least, and every time I do. Um, it touches me deeply and i this is where she's she's generally like that first speech just very centered but in this one she let her passion and her anger come out but still if you notice towards the end there's a a, a deep wisdom that um is refusing to believe that people are that evil. So here she is at the UN. I hope this one can work. Oops. Um, this is all wrong. Wait a second. <laughs> it is all wrong. Yeah. Now maybe I can... Um, Actually, I have it on my UE boom. Maybe we can do this because this would be work worth seeing. Uh, let's see. Connect. Is it connected? Oh, it did. Right yeah. Oh, okay. So the reason that it's loading very slow is probably because you have a bunch of... Ah, okay. Well, let's see. Let's first see this. So Apple TV is on. All right. And now this is loading... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and Stephen Colbert. Maybe I'll 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 close the uh I'll, I'll make it smaller. Yeah, I should have downloaded this before, but well, let's see. Okay, let's see. Let's hope. This is all wrong. 
still wrong. Yeah. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have dreams in my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are people are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? How dare you? For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. How dare you obey and come here saying that you're doing enough when the politics and solutions needed are still nowhere in mm. But no matter how sad and No. What's that? It's not, yeah. Alright, I'll go. Alright, let's, let's try it one more time from here. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side. No. So what I'm going to do, I have it on here on, on my phone. So, because uh, I, I, I want to, I want you to hear, hear the words. <clears throat> yeah. What's that? You're underlying. You have no moral authority over anyone who can feel your underlying contempt. It's, this is true, and this is, uh, this is a kind of, this is a stretch. And, um, and what's quite powerful is the fact that she very rarely does lose her, she's, she doesn't usually get angry, uh, at least show her anger. But towards the end, you'll see that... Um, as she says, I refuse to believe that you're evil. You, you just don't understand. You just uh, don't understand the facts. Um, so it is true. And this is one where I, I, I'm so moved because she's so fiercely ready to say the truth. 
but she's saying how dare you how dare you take away our planet and she, even she she's showing her humanity here it's true Uh, well said. Uh, says the the contempt is it for the um, the their efforts, not not the individuals. Which is what she's she's basically she's saying exactly that. How how dare you talk about about things that. Um, about how much you care and not really care. Let me make sure I have it on my um, on my Bluetooth. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet, I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. And all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. How dare you continue to look away and come here saying that you're doing enough when the politics and solutions needed are still nowhere in sight. You say you hear us and that you understand the urgency. But no matter how sad and angry I am, I do not want to believe that. Because if you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil, and that I refuse to believe. The popular idea of cutting our emissions in half in 10 years only gives us a 50% chance of staying below 1.5 degrees and the risk of setting off irreversible chain reactions beyond human control. 50% may be acceptable to you, but those numbers do not include tipping points, most feedback loops, additional warming hidden by toxic air pollution or the aspects of equity and climate justice. They also rely on my generation sucking hundreds of billions of tons of your CO2 out of the air with technologies that barely exist. So a 50% risk is simply not acceptable to us, we who have to live with the consequences. How dare you pretend that this can be sold with just business as usual and some technical solutions? With today's emissions levels, that remaining CO2 budget will be entirely gone within less than eight and a half years. There will not be any solutions or plans presented in line with these figures here today because these numbers are too uncomfortable and you are still not mature enough 
to tell it like it is. You are failing us. But the young people are starting to understand your betrayal. The eyes of all future generations are upon you. And if you choose to fail us, I say we will never forgive you. We will not let you get away with this. Right here, right now, is where we draw the line. The world is waking up. And change is coming, whether you like it or not. Thank you. For me, the most powerful line in that speech where, is where she says, um, if, you, uh, if you knew and you still did this, I, I refuse to believe that you understand because if you did, that would mean you were evil. And I refuse to believe that. So there's, there's that modicum of respect there saying... You're, I don't think you're evil. I just think you don't understand. But don't say that that you're doing you're doing what what needs to be done, or that you are inspired by our young voices. Sometimes standing in the truth means fierce, fierce compassion, and she's coming from a place of fierce caring, fierce compassion. So I'll, I want to share with you one more clip right now of somebody who um, I'm inspired by. Uh, I hope it comes through. And that's a, um, a clip of another Dharma teacher and friend um, from England. He's originally from New Zealand named uh, Janai, Janai Pastelnik. Um, and he's part of the, whoops, part of the Extinction Rebellion, uh, which, perha- per- whoops, perhaps you're familiar with, how does this, no, um, which is a movement that's, that's um, caught fire well, even in the States, it's, uh, it, it's starting to catch fire. But certainly it started in England. And Janai was one of the first people who, he was in the early stages of the Extinction Rebellion where they stopped traffic on a number of bridges in London. Uh, I have friends in New Zealand who are uh, doing um, civil disobedience and in Australia and throughout Europe. Um, and they they do civil disobedience, which you know is is a is something that you have to be really moved and clear that this is what you need to do. Uh, but all they want is for governments to say this is an emergency. They want to have it named like it is. They're they're not holding anyone hostage, other than saying we want everybody to know how much of a dire emergency this is. So Janai, 
who is a Dharma teacher at Gaia House, um, decided he'd not done anything like this before. This is him right here in the center. Um, he decided he had to put his body on the line. And he's gotten arrested um, a couple of times, a few times, broke parole because for further demonstrations, and actually has now lost his... Um, his right to to come to the states to teach. He teaches it. He's taught at IMS for many years, uh, the center in Massachusetts. He's done a very dramatic acts um, of of civil disobedience, including he's one of a number of people who glued themselves to an entrance of a government building, and you have to have very the right material very, very carefully to undo super gluing your hands to a wall, which they did. The English police are very, um, very polite and supportive. Said you could never get away with that here in the States. But this is Yanai. This is a three minute clip. I hope it comes out. It's a day of significance. There's going to be a day when the symbolic, the poetic, the emotional, the stoic, and for some of us, the spiritual, come once again to speak the truth to those in power. Right now, we can see the scientists have brought in all the information that we need to know that there is a climatic catastrophe brewing and actually already taking place. The water is rising. There are people in the South Pacific whose homes have already gone. The science is done in a way. We know the situation. You don't need a lecture from me, I don't think, on that. It's actually the social consciousness and the political will that is missing. People are not aware of what's happening. And so the demand of Extinction Rebellion is that the government and the media must tell the truth about this extreme circumstance. The media coverage is minimal and tragically inadequate in relationship to the urgency of our circumstance. We have 12 years to turn that around and we need to start now. It's urgent. And so to do the action we're doing today to viscerally and visually express our concern and the risks that we are facing of what we may be doing to the children we leave behind us. I'm here today because I'm scared. I'm scared for all the youth in areas around the globe who are already having to deal with the problem of climate change. Coming along for this action, my situation is quite particular. I was uh, joining in an Extinction Rebellion action 10 days ago. A number of us were arrested there and I am... I've been released on bail and so I'm, I'm choosing to do this action although there's a possibility this my participation will be seen as breaching those bail conditions. I was bailed with the uh, prohibition from entering the city of Westminster, the city of London or the borough of Southwark. I'm a Buddhist minister and um, one of the exceptions to my bail condition was that if I have a work, a legal or a medical appointment, that doesn't prohibit me. And so I see this as a part of my work, as a spiritual and moral duty to engage with bringing people's attention to this, to waking people up to the climate emergency. And so as far as I'm concerned, I'm not breaching my bowel conditions because this is actually part of my work. But I don't know how that will be perceived by others, and so I don't know what will happen. The urgency of this is extreme, and the need for people to wake up and for our political class to find the will, the courage, the commitment 
and the love actually the love that says they can disregard their indebtedness to the corporate world and actually act from their hearts and from their moral and official duty to serve the well-being of the world and that's what I'm concerned with as a human being and also as a spiritual teacher this is what I've been concerned with for all of my adult life and this engagement and action is an expression of that for me. Sorry for the out of sync. Um, I mean, that's those. That's the possibility for some who who choose to um, that they can't ignore. As was said before, they can't ignore. They'll regret if they don't if they don't act. So, with that in mind, I wanted to explore a few different. Things I have a couple of more clips, but wanted to talk a little bit about uh, or have us explore um, together about this feeling of satyagraha, of um, of standing in truth, having the truth force protect you and hold you. <clears throat> There's a couple of components that, for me, uh, come right out of the teachings that are the um, at the heart of it. One is the Buddha's words or the Buddha's teaching on uh, anatta, a n a t t a, anatta, the selfless nature of reality that. <clears throat> when we get beyond that sense of self, the, that self-consciousness we talked about before, you know, who am I to say something like that? What, if they, what will they think of me? Or that Greta uh, says, I don't care about being popular. Um, the, that lack of self not getting in the way, that allows for something much more powerful than little me coming through. When I, when I first started teaching, I, for a number of years, being in, in, uh, up here on, on a, uh, giving a Dharma talk, there was a part of me that was saying, oh, what if they just find out it's just little Jamie from Queens, you know? For about really about 10 years or so there was that inner apology until finally there was more and more a growing sense of okay this is what life has given me I love sharing this stuff with people um, I, I I can't I can't be worried about what if it's little Jamie from Queens I'm given an opportunity I'll just uh, let the Dharma use me, and I think that's the um, it's one of the great benefits of being being in this in this seat when the when you are used. And we all know, probably most of us know, when we've been used well. <clears throat> 
thinking of the Bill Withers song, uh, Use, uh, Use Me, uh, Use Me Up. And just being an instrument, or um, St. Francis, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where you become an instrument, and it's not you doing anything, it's letting life come through you. This is the, the Buddha's words, if I can... If I can find it on uh, on the on what what's called the conceit of I am, <clears throat> the in the in the Buddha's teaching, the word mana stands for the conceit, and conceit doesn't necessarily mean um, oh aren't I aren't I better than. It's any kind of self-referenting that separates me from others. This is what the Buddha says. One who thinks oneself equal to others or superior or inferior, for that very reason, disputes. But one who is unmoved under those three conditions, for that person the notions equal and and superior do not exist one who is free from views such as these, uh, there are no ties. For one who is delivered by understanding, there are no follies. But those who grasp, grasp after views and philosophical opinions of superior or inferior, they wander about in the world annoying people. And you know who gets annoyed most of all? We annoy ourselves. Whenever it's, um, when what can I do? Will they recognize me? Or, or like I said, that, that Trungpa Rinpoche line, timidity is just another ego trip. It's just another, you know, oh, what will they think of me? It's still about me. And, of course, this is a very human thing to feel. It's not that you're bad for feeling it, but the practice is pointing to seeing through that so deeply conditioned reaction of mind that separates ourselves out from life, and in that we lose our power to something much deeper and more profound being used as an instrument of life. So I wanted to do a little exercise that I uh, often do on retreats just to give you a sense of seeing through this separate sense of, of self. And we can maybe explore different times that you've felt used by life. It's just a little... Um, uh, practice that I invite you to uh, to do with me. And this would uh, ask you to sit up. And this is really a, a kind of uh, a, a adaptation of uh, Buckminster Fuller's um, teaching. One of the really great minds of the 20th century. And in in this way of seeing things, we usually think of ourselves as somebody separate from life to whom life is happening. 
You ever get that feeling? Life is happening to me. But a, a shift of reality is when you see that life is happening through me, not just to me. And this is a shift from being somebody to being the process of life. So just close your eyes for a moment. And first think of yourself as a noun, as somebody. You know, you in school you learned a noun as a person, place, or a thing, something. So just tune into the thingness called you with this body separate from everybody else. And feel the solidity of that occupying space. Yes, I am occupying space now. Grounded and on the earth. And now, for a few moments, see what it's like to shift your perspective and see yourself as a verb, as a field of activity, a field of experience. Right now, in this form called you, there's a circulatory system with blood moving through, pulsing, a nervous system continually responding, endocrine system shooting out chemicals, muscular system working in harmony, digestive system, immune system, battles going on in there. So many countless, countless things happening right now You are a verb, a field of activity. Life is expressing itself through you, as you. And just relax in that dance of life. And in that dance, there's no one place that you can point to and say, oh, that's the essence of me. It's all in continual flux. Nothing to impress. No feeling of separation. Right now this room is just life talking to itself through all of these forms. And feel the the ease, the lack of self or self-consciousness when you just are a verb.
and just imagine what it's like the more you can simply let the force of goodness and the force of life use this form in beautiful ways. If that didn't resonate with you, no problem. Let your experience be just the way it is. I'm wondering, just checking in, if you've had an experience where something larger than you overtook you and uh, enabled you to to be larger than yourself. Was it this... um, Walt Whitman line, I, uh, I am, I am larger than I thought I, than I thought I am, than I than I thought I am. I didn't know I contained so much goodness. <clears throat> so any time when you, you had that feeling of being used well, was it, yes, over here and here, right up, raise your hand, right up front in the front, here. I had an experience, I've been in an experience for the past two years where I've had to become larger than myself, but I'm about to be pushed larger than I want to be. Um, and I, it started with a small step, and I was really ambivalent a lot about that step. I wasn't sure that it was the right step. I wasn't sure it was the right thing to do. And then a bunch of things happened. I was attacked afterwards. Lots of things were said about me. Um, my life changed in a lot of really negative ways, and it had a really bad impact on my my daughter, who was eight at the time. And I mm. was crying, trying not to cry. And I said to her, "I'm so sorry that I did this. I had no idea how hard this would be for you." Mm. And my eight year old daughter said to me, "Mama, it's okay." She said, "You didn't go out looking for trouble. You were standing on your square, and they tried to push you off your square, and you stood up and said, this is my square.'" Mm. And just it's like the wisdom of children, you know, like I couldn't see it clearly, but she could see it clearly. Mm-hmm. And that really has stuck with me for a long time. And then a couple months later, she was really sad. And I was saying, honey, it's okay. I know everything's going to be okay. And she said, how do you know that? And I said, because I'm standing in integrity. And she said, I don't know what that means. And I said, it means my soul is shiny on the inside, mm-hmm. even when everyone can't see it. Mm-hmm. And that's always with us, whether we win or lose. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And, and that, that's how I feel. Thank you. Standing in integrity. Yeah. Like that Patricia and Dan Ellsberg. Satyagra. Thank you. Anyone else? We can just take a few. Here. Over, over here. Oh, raise your hand. Put it right close to your mouth. um, For many years, I worked for the UN in Africa. Mm. And I can remember a really distinct moment. So I'm in Burundi. Um, It's uh, very insecure. 
I'm a spokeswoman for the UN. I'm traveling with a camera. There is four people in the car with me. And we approach a, a checkpoint. And it's very clear that the, the 16-year-olds holding the AK-47s are high. And I've seen it for many years. I had been in war zones for several years at that point. But I'm thinking, okay, they're going to check the car. And if they find the camera, that's it. And I can remember very clearly thinking, it's like a voice telling me, get out of the car and tell them the camera's there. And it goes against everything that you're trained to do. But I thought, I got to do this. So we get out of the car, and the three people with me are watching me, and I'm like, there's a camera. It's wrapped in these bags, and they take it out, and they just start playing with the camera, and they let us go. <laughs> and I don't even know kind of like what made me do it, but it was really truly like a, a moment when I thought like, wow, okay, something guided me and guided me well, because that could have really gone a different direction. Mm. Wow. Thank you. And thank you for your work. Mm. Anyone else? You don't have to be a uh, that that. Uh, <laughs> it's not. Can you top this? <laughs> what else before we move on? Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing that inspired me to come here today, um, working on homeless housing, and uh, everything's going really well, great team, um, but the banks are very straightforward. Lady, you're you're not rich enough. What was that? You're not rich enough. Ah. Um, you know, the accounting put together and things, the feedback is, you're too small. Your, your numbers are too small. You're not big enough. Go find, the words are, uh, go, go play with richer people. Uh, and the, it's a, such a top, sophisticated, top-notch team and uh, a really valuable cause. And um, I was really defeated. I felt pretty set back and felt pretty small. And I appreciate everything today and you today and um, the courage and, and the stories from everyone to... Um, to know that this is this isn't about me. This is bigger, um, and I, I really do feel that calling here um, to get the get the people off the street into the houses. This isn't about me. Uh, get my ego out of it. Take my deflated, take these deflated words. Get them out of the uh, get them out of the room and 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 get up and 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 let's work on something bigger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yes, and uh, Elizabeth works with uh, getting homeless people. Housing in uh, in San Francisco, is it, or in Oakland? Yeah, thank you for your work. That that's the idea that it's something bigger than yourself. When you can widen your intention so that it's not just about me, but it's about something bigger than yourself. Shanti Deva, uh, who is this uh, wonderful. Um, 
uh, Tibetan, or he was actually Indian, but uh, in, from Tibetan Buddhism, he wrote the Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life, which is the Dalai Lama's Bible, so to speak. Um, he has this one line, he says, um, the miracle of awakening lifts us above poverty into the wealth of giving to life. Lifting us above poverty into the wealth of giving to life. That it's not about what's in it for me, but it's about, oh, what can I contribute? How can life use me in, a, in, in service? And um, on a more contemporary uh, level, uh, Martin Seligman, who's the father of positive psychology, you probably have heard of the positive psychology movement, uh, he wrote this book, Authentic Happiness, which is the kind of Bible of positive psychology. And he said in all of his research on well-being and positive psychology, the, the, the true authentic happiness comes from identifying the gifts that you've been given in life and giving them in a spirit of contribution to others. And if you can identify those gifts and see that you've been gifted, not, oh, look at me, aren't I wonderful for this, whatever, beautiful singing voice or this, my straight hair or my whatever it is. Um, it's, life is just giving you whatever gifts you have. You know, how can you, can you take credit for it? For whatever gifts you've been given, you can hone them, you can develop them, you can, you can use your resource, but it's been given to you, gifted to you. And when you see that it's both, it's yours and it's not yours, so that you can share your gifts with humility, which is really another way of pointing to this selfless nature, um, then it's the best feeling because then you're not in the way. It's like, you know, when you're dancing, the difference between dancing and wondering how you're looking and not thinking about that at all and just dancing and let the, the movement move through you, that's the difference, which is the difference between hell and heaven. What am I doing? Am I looking good? Or, yes, just let, let yourself be danced, be played. So this is what talking about as far as finding our voice and letting our voice come out like that. Okay, so the next piece, we'll take a break now. I, I'm... Is the brake man around? He took a break. I'm doing it for him. Oh, there he, there he is, back there. Ah, okay. So we'll, we'll finally take our break for the day, uh, and we'll come back for the next piece, which is not just the selfless nature of letting the truth use you, but, um, but the importance of love in there as well. So we'll come back and uh, go for the, the final chapter. All right, 15 minutes. Can we do that? Yeah. And we'll ring a bell. Yeah. You just brought back.
it just tells me.
Oh yeah. Let's see. Okay, um, so this standing in truth and, and letting life use you, um, the understanding of something larger than you and, and seeing through that sense of self is, um, is an, an essential I think, essential peace, but it's not the whole picture. <clears throat> it's an essential piece. One way I think of, of power, you know, people talk about having personal power. Well, the real power is impersonal power, where it's not me. You're tapped into something larger than, than me. But without the heart in there, uh, then it's um, it doesn't touch people. It doesn't awaken their own goodness. And so I want to just talk about, um, without it being cliche, the power of love. That that's an essential piece in this. And as opposed to speaking your truth from anger and hatred, which is how so much of our discourse is these days. I wanted to share a few teachings first and then we can explore it together. The Buddha has a, a famous discourse called the simile of the saw. Now, this is a very high bar, so uh, don't, um, uh, don't worry if you feel you're, you've fallen short. But in this discourse, he says, do not let 
negativity or aggression towards you turn into hatred on your part. And he goes through a number of scenarios ending with if bandits ambush you, capture you, and take a saw, this is why it's called the simile of the saw, and are cutting off your limbs. One who knows my teaching does not respond with hatred. A very high bar, as I say. (laughs) However, if you understand, there's a difference between um, anger (laughs) and uh, doing what needs to be done and um, and rage and hatred, because hatred is wishing ill for another. Hatred, he says, poisons the heart. He has a an, uh, an example of taking a hot coal. It's like you're angry with somebody, and you if you're hating them, you you take a hot coal wanting to hurt them throwing a hot, throwing at them so that they can uh, they can be burned not realizing you're the one that's getting burned when you pick up that hot coal or drinking poison and hoping the other person is going to get sick you're the one that that hate is eating at and certainly in our culture which is so um, prevalent, the disease of othering, our tribalism that, that, that says our side and their side. This takes a lot to not succumb to that good guys versus bad guys. So I want to explore that a bit with you. First of all, I'll share with you some quotes from Martin Luther King and then we'll see uh, uh, some clips of, for me, um, essence of this. This is Martin Luther King. There were so many here. He's really the embodiment of standing and speaking your truth fearlessly in the face of danger. Our lives begin to end the day we come we become silent about things that matter. An individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity, as we were talking about before, something larger than ourself. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. One who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. That is why right, temporarily defeated, is stronger than evil, triumphant. 
<coughs> we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. One who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. Here's on courage, just a couple more. Courage is an inner resolution to go forward despite obstacles. Cowardice is submissive surrender to circumstances. Courage breeds creativity. Cowardice represses fear and is mastered by it. Cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it politic? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks the question, is it right? And there comes a time when we must take a position that is neither safe nor politic nor popular, but one must take it because it is right. And the last one. Now there is a final reason I think that Jesus says, love your enemies. It is this, that love has within it a redemptive power. And there is a power there that eventually transforms individuals. Just keep being friendly to that person. Just keep loving them and they can't stand it too long. Oh, they react in many ways in the beginning. They react with guilt feelings and sometimes they'll hate you a little more at that transition period. But just keep loving them. And by the power of your love, they will break down under the load. That's love, you see. It is redemptive. And this is why Jesus says love. There's something about love that builds up and is creative. There's something about hate that tears down and is destructive. So love your enemies. So now I want to um, share with you, um, before we move into exploring on our uh, with with ourselves, um, a an inspiring uh, teacher for me. Two clips, two very they're short clips, uh, by a woman named Julia Butterfly Hill, and uh, if you don't know her, she went up into um, uh, a huge old growth redwood up in um, Humboldt County. Um, to save the uh, logging of, uh, to save the cutting down of old growth trees. This is in 1997. And um, went up thinking she'd go up for three weeks and ended up going for two years. Um, The most intense winter up to that time, the El Nino winter of 97, uh, living on a platform, just a small square platform um, and she was transformed in that process uh, she was uh, that's why she, the name butterfly stuck because she went through a transformation 
And um, here are two clips of hers. Uh, one, uh, anger versus love, and then uh, another, fierce compassion. They were both from the same uh, time. She visited the uh, Awakening Joy class that I teach in Berkeley. Uh, but I find her um, these clips really uh, summarize what I, I want to share with you. And uh, so, Jesse, and you have the, the lights off from the uh, above here. So here's Julia. I tell people, I'm not trying to tell people not to be angry. I feel if you're not angry at the world today, you're probably not awake. But, it's <laughs> but for me, there's a shift that happens, which is, do I choose to do what I do out of my anger, my judgment, or do I choose to do what I do out of my love? Just like the tree takes in the toxins, breathes it in, transforms it into life and grows, I too could do the same thing. When I am present to my anger, I can choose to act out of anger and I'm probably going to make a mess. Or I can breathe that anger in. I can recognize that always what is underneath my anger is my care. I'm only angry because I care so much about my world that it breaks my heart that we're so good at destroying it and destroying one another. And I recognize, because I've done this work enough, that when I'm angry, what it's actually doing is it's a self-defense mechanism against this. Against the fact that I care so much about our world, and I see what's possible for us as a humanity, and I see how far we have to go. And it breaks my heart. But underneath my anger, underneath my rage, underneath my fear and my overwhelm is my care. And if I can get in touch with my care, then I can put love into action instead of anger into action, or fear into action. The beautiful thing for me is that through love, I can transform my anger, my rage, my cynicism into what I call fierce compassion. That it doesn't lose its teeth. I got a little bit of an edge to me. (laughs) I don't know if you've realized that tonight or not. I'm not sure. (laughs) I have a little bit of an edge. And people ask me that a lot because some people are so attached to the anger is what sources them. They ask me, well, if I were to give up my anger, what would I do? Like, my anger is what gets me out of bed in the morning. I'm like, well, why is it that anger gets you out of bed? Why do you choose that instead of love? Like, it's actually just a choice. But in the space of choosing to transform through love, I don't lose the edge. I don't lose the fierceness of my passion. But fierce compassion gets the chainsaw of judgment out of the space and gets me present to every breath is a miracle. How do I want to live my life in a way that honors that miracle? Wow. I get goosebumps when I get present to that. That's such a more joyful way to live life. Joy, awakening joy. Joy gets awakened every moment that I get judgment out of the space, get love in the space, and get myself in service to love. Because ultimately, my service to others is about bowing to the feet of love every day and saying, what would love have me think in this moment? What would love have me say in this moment? And what would love have me do in this moment? We may or may not win. We may or may not lose. Who knows? We don't have the crystal ball. But what I do know is every day that I wake up and choose to think, speak, and act in love, I won. And hopefully others win as a result. 
so there's the uh, there's the alchemy that makes all the difference in the world. If you're, like she says, if you're not angry or having feelings of outrage, you know, you're you're probably not awake or not informed. Of course you have those feelings when, if there's cruelty or insanity or all of those things that you read about in every day. That's natural. That's human. But know that it hurts. There's that anger. There's that outrage, as she said. I'm just kind of repeating her, but it just bears repeating. There's all of those frustrating feelings because you care. And so to get underneath the frustration and the outrage and the anger and the hate to a place of vulnerability. Pema Chodron calls it that, that, that soft spot, that vulnerability that feels. Then you're tapping into that care and letting that be the place where your truth comes from. Okay. So how can we do that? How can we stand in truth and get in touch with that uh, without letting anger and, and hatred uh, take us over? How can we forgive what seems unforgivable? You know, People who know better, who are steering the planet towards self-destruction. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? How can you open your heart to them? And in the in the uh, metta practice, the loving kindness practice that we did before when we did it towards ourselves, you go up to the difficult person and the difficult category, you wish your enemy, it's sometimes called the enemy category, you wish the difficult, the person difficult, most difficult in your life or you pick somebody who's really difficult and you wish them well. May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be, have inner peace. And people say, how can I do that? Why should I do that? But if you think that you're wishing them not to be happy by doing the unskillful, cruel things they're doing and just the way that they understand happiness. You're wishing them to find true happiness. You're wishing for them to really wake up and understand where true happiness lies, which is not in hurting others. So you're wishing for them to wake up in some way. And you realize that in that action, you're the one that's stretching yourself instead of holding on to that hot coal or drinking the poison, you're somehow converting your own 
anger into love. Okay, so then how how can you forgive or or wish, how can you forgive? I want to talk about forgiveness for a while. That's what came up before. And the way I understand the Buddha's teachings, it's seeing rather than those evil people doing awful things, it's ignorance, it's confusion, it's not seeing clearly where well-being and happiness lies. And one of the most profound teachings for me in all of spiritual um, teachings is Jesus on the cross saying, forgive them, they know not what they do. As they're, as they're nailing him to the cross, you know, it looks like, it looks like they know what they're doing. <laughs> but they don't. Because if they knew what they were doing, if they truly knew, they wouldn't do it. Forgive them. They know not what they do. They know not the, 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 the consequence to themselves. The, they're, they're lost in ignorance. They're lost in not seeing clearly. And how does somebody get lost? Because, at least in Buddhist understanding, it's all about causes and conditions. Causes and conditions. And so... To see that if you were maybe raised in the, the environment that that person was raised or had the history with their family and lineage or had the genetic temperament that they have that you might have a very different worldview, and that there's causes and conditions and causes and conditions that when you understand, the heart can open. So I really, I see forgiveness having compassionate understanding as the basis, understanding of causes and conditions. I'll share with you an example of this and then, then we can uh, do some, some uh, practice. Um, a number of years ago, I, I live in Berkeley and I was in uh, UC Berkeley in the halls and there was this poster in the, in the hall and it had this um, very sad looking child and the caption read, a child raised in a home with domestic violence is 700 times as likely to experience domestic violence in their adulthood. And I saw that and I was kind of, it stopped me in my tracks. And just seeing, you know, and whether the adult was on the receiving end or the perpetrating end, who's to blame in that? Who's to blame when there's causes and conditions that express itself like that? And so having that kind of a wider view, an understanding of what somebody might, their reality be, can open the heart just a little bit.
Uh, and a, a further teaching uh, of this was uh, a profound teaching that uh, a young woman um, uh, gave to me a few years ago. Um, this 13-year-old girl from Trinidad. Uh, Jane, my wife, and I were invited to Trinidad to teach educators. This guy had arranged a whole lot of principals and, and uh, teachers uh, t- uh, for us to, he had read my book and he said, oh, I want you to teach all of these, these people about awakening joy. And his daughter was this wise being way beyond her years. And she said, um, I'm working on an invention that I hope will lead to world peace. I said, oh yeah? Can you tell me about it? She said, it's called a perspective helmet. You put it on, and as soon as you put it on, you can understand the perspective of the person that you're speaking to. I said, I'll invest in that. If you can figure out how to do it, I think you got something there. She said she hadn't quite figured it out how, how it works, you know. But it was, it's so simple and so brilliant. Oh, as soon as you understand the other person's reality, as bizarre as it is, a serial killer, somebody doing the most awful things, if you understand that's their reality, you do what you can to stop it, but not with hatred in your heart. Because there's understanding. And that's what we're called to do when we really speak the truth. To understand that everybody has their own reality. So I, I want to... Uh, Gosh, I want to uh, ask you first to uh, just go inside. We can. This will be a shortened version of what I was going to do, and just uh, ask uh, ask yourself, who needs forgiveness in your in your mind and in your heart, and not to pick somebody that you're not ready to go there. If you're not ready to forgive, sometimes you have to still be processing the hurt or the trauma. So just um, forgive yourself for being just where you're at. And uh, if you wish you could forgive, that's enough. But pick somebody that you want to uh, explore about forgiving. Whether it's somebody close to you in your life or somebody, a, 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 a famous figure. And see if you can put on your perspective helmet and try to imagine being that person with their confusion, with their conditioning. And see, like Jesus on the cross, or if you were the Dalai Lama, or 
the wise being, the Buddha or Kuan Yin, if you could understand and forgive them, they know not what they do. What would it take to understand, or if you could get a glimpse of it, to soften your heart just a bit? What would you want them to know? or whether or not they could hear anything from you, is it possible to have a, a heart that can include even them? So, uh, before we have our one last exercise where we'll practice speaking our truth, uh, just anything that might have come up from from that. I close to your really, mouth. I really like to be able to to do that, um, but I I feel my resistance mm-hmm. creeping around my forgiving feelings, and maybe I'm just not ready yet. Yeah. Or, but I should be. I think I should be ready. No, but I'm not. Let go of the should. Mm-hmm. No, you can only be right where you are. And here's something that I, I find helpful. Do you wish you could forgive? Yes. Okay. Get in touch with the wish. I wish I could forgive. There's a wholesomeness right in that. I'm not quite ready. Maybe in time you will get there. But you can't hurry it up. But just even to value the possibility is a start. Then you have to just be really honest with right where you are. And like I said a moment ago, forgive yourself for being right where you are. 
there's something noble in wishing you forgive, which is very different than forget that. Why would I? No way. There's something there. It's a seed that, that, that just needs some more watering. And sometimes we can have the conceptual idea, but it takes a while for our body and our heart to catch up with what our mind knows. And that's often how it is. We have an idea. Yeah, that makes sense. And we kind of grow into it. So just be patient with the, that process. Good. Thank you. Helpful. And I find that um, in forgiveness, it's not really about the other people. It's really about not closing our heart. And the forgiveness is for ourselves. So that we, because once you close it, you close it for all. It's not, you can't really pick and choose. The heart is either open or not open. Mm -hmm. And that um, Brene Brown's talk about vulnerability, the courage comes from the word heart. So courage is connected to vulnerability. And I think if we could get in touch with the vulnerability, then we get into forgiveness. And then we could have courage to do that. I'm right with you, yes. Desmond Tutu has this great quote. He says, um, uh, Forgiveness is the highest form of self-interest. I need to forgive so that my own Anger and lust for revenge does not corrode my own being. That, and he was the architect or, uh, of the uh, reconciliation after apartheid. I need to forgive so that my, own, my anger and lust for revenge does not corrode my own being. We're the ones that suffer. But you got to be right where you are. So... Okay, any, uh, oh, Eric in the... Yeah, I was um, really trying to do this. And um, I'm in a place, in a situation right now where this person is continually hurting me. Mm-hmm. And because of addiction, um, they're not fully aware of all of the ramifications, not only to myself, but to other people in our world are continuously being injured by their actions every day. Mm. And I struggle with being a doormat or a codependent who's mm-hmm. been there to support and um, so, trying to figure out where to place anger in a healthy way so that I have boundaries that protect me Yeah, without. And that's where my ignorance or confusion comes in because mm. I... My, all my gears just mm-hmm. and I'm like I can't forgive this asshole even if this person doesn't know what they're doing mm-hmm. the ram full because they're being so reckless and irresponsible not just to themselves but to me yeah that and then I don't know mm-hmm. how to forgive because the damage has been so great to me yeah. on so many levels well, certainly, like we were talking about before about uh, boundaries and healthy boundaries and <coughs> and knowing knowing what our limits are, um, you don't want to be codependent or uh, enabling. That's that's for sure. And again, you have to be right where you are. When you think about somebody who's caught up in addiction who is so out of control, 
they're out of control. They're not in their right mind. And so um, it might be just something to consider. It doesn't mean you like like them. You like what they're doing. But compassion for being in that reality, it must be so such a hell realm. And um, one can both have compassion and be very clear, no, this is not right. Like she was talking about, fierce compassion. Um, and to just be right where you are. Okay, and do, do you want to say something, Monica? Okay. All right, so, okay, one last one very quickly because time is going. Hi. Um, well, I um, when you mentioned maybe not something that has a lot of charge, I left to a side um, and went to myself, which evidently was very charged, but I didn't realize that. Um, and uh, took a look at my um, younger self as a child and especially was looking at like um, scribbling things that are wrong in a journal or like um, this, this image of myself as... Um, something's wrong and, and critical, very harsh, harsh judge. And I um, was, was trying to get some forgiveness around that part of myself. And, uh, and um, then what came up when you asked some inquiry uh, was, um, um, I didn't do anything wrong. So it was that, that feeling of uh, anyways, I felt like I had some peace of forgiveness about my my childhood and my parents' divorce, and mm. so it was great a Thank healthy you. experiment for me, mm. but kind of hard. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it, it is kind of mysterious in a moment when the mind holds things in a different way. The heart can release. It, it can go both ways. The heart can release and then and the mind can uh, can let go or the mind can just understand oh oh what a different way to see it you know like when I saw that that poster with that with that child oh and in one moment you see another perspective that's why vipassana the word vipassana the translation is to see things clearly. Because once you see clearly, ah, the heart opens. Okay, so we just have a few minutes left and um, I, you know, I'm sorry that the timing is such that this is just kind of compressed at the very end. But now, since you came here looking at the courage, cultivating courage, uh, fearlessly standing in your truth. Uh, one final exercise about perhaps you saying what needs to be said in your life. This can be your your um, homework assignment that you that you can't fail because there's no grading and no marking, but just something. To, uh, to reflect on as you leave here what you can take with you. So one last time, I invite you to go inside and just 
ask yourself what you feel strongly about. Any particular situation, either personal in your life or on a more uh, societal level, some cause, whether it's climate or racial injustice or inequity or whatever. What do you feel strongly about, as uh, Andrew Harvey says, to follow your heartbreak? You know, what issue really touches you, and what needs to be said? Just imagine being in a situation where you were given the opportunity to say what needs to be said or what in your heart you're wanting to say or stand up for or express your deep caring. from love or at least from compassionate understanding and just imagine saying it from the most skillful place possible the wisest part of you being used well. Just speaking the truth, letting the truth move through you. No time to play small. But saying it from a loving heart. or a compassionate heart. And knowing that when you do, you inspire others as well. And if you can envision it, feel what it's like in your body, the thought of letting courage move you to say what needs to be said. Because we need you to say what needs to be said. and encouraging others to do the same.
And so I would encourage you as you leave here, when you have the opportunities, use them. Don't play small. You have everything you need. And we can all be cheering each other on to do that as we're just sitting here together for these last few moments. May we all find the courage to speak our truth in as skillful a way as we can. Just making this a more conscious world. And may our time here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings have the courage to wisely communicate consciously what needs to be said. And may our planet um, feel our caring and love as well. So thanks for hanging out with with me <laughs> and letting letting me explore this with you. Um yeah, I really appreciate all of you being here and uh sharing the day. Go out there and make it a better world. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.